0: I think going forward, uh, the more you can tell that story as a business, um, the more trust you can build within your community and of course, you can make a higher product in terms of efficacy and that's what people want when they're buying these products. Do they feel something or do they not?
1: I'm Luke Story.
0: For the past 22
1: years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest fashion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you.
2: Yo, I am super pumped to share with you beekeepersnaturals.com. Now, if you heard episode 175 with founder and CEO Carly Stein, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the highest quality bee products in the world from Beekeepers Naturals. Now I've been using bee products for a long time. Back in the '90s, I was rocking like the bee pollen and and you know using kind of gourmet honey over the years and things like that. But until that interview, honestly, I had no idea of the superpowers and the variety of different bee products. So not only did these guys make the cleanest, most organic, most potent bee products. They also have the widest variety of products. So whether it's propolis, which helps you with the immune system, um, soothing scratchy throats, it's really potent stuff. Or the bee pollen, which is a superfood with vitamins and nutrients and gives you energy. It has amino acids and protein, whether it's the raw honey, the royal jelly. Uh, They even have a tonic for your brain. I mean, they have a lot of great products over there. So if you're not hip to the power of bee products as a superfood, I want to highly recommend that you get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. And honestly, if you want to just learn all about bees in the industry and how it's done and how it's done right for ecology and for the environment, definitely go back and listen to episode 175. It's a, it's a great episode. And the founder, Carly, is just brilliant. And she's running a really great operation over there. So I'm very happy to support them on the show. And uh, like all the stuff I always talk about, I use them every day. In fact, I use it too much because I run out of it. Like when I interviewed her, I was like, so I do like a couple tablespoons of the B powered, which is the really potent one that combines all of the superfoods in the hive into one product. She's like, dude, the dose for that is half a teaspoon once a day. You're tripping. But you know, I'm hardcore Uh, because it just tastes delicious and it gives you like instant energy. So definitely get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. When you're there, if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST, that's one word, LIFESTYLIST, you'll save 15% off your order. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST. I'm so happy right now. You know why? Because
1: my gut is happy. When your gut's happy, your neurotransmitters are working right, you got your serotonin, your dopamine, your melatonin, you're feeling great. This is all thanks to Just Thrive probiotics, man. These things are awesome. You can find them at justthrivehealth.com. The reason they work and why probably most of the probiotics I've been taking for the past 20 years to try to fix my digestion did not work is because they are a spore based probiotic, meaning you eat them, they get into your gut, they hatch and populate. They have a 100% survivability record, which is really good. Most probiotics you take, honestly, just turn into dust or something. They just don't do anything. So if you've had issues with bloating, gas, leaky gut, digestive problems, Just Thrive probiotics are going to be the magic ticket for you. So again, go to justthrivehealth.com. If you enter the code LUKE15, you're going to save 15% off over at justthrivehealth.com. It's a great way to upgrade not only your gut, but all the things related to it, like brain function, your immune system, et cetera. The good thing about Just Thrive is you know when you take them, they are going to work. That's justthrivehealth.com. Enter the code LUKE15 for 15% off. Well, 2020 is off to a raging start, folks. We're hitting this thing like a steam locomotive going off the rails. Today's episode with Julian Mitchell is no exception. He and his partner Ryan Creed co founded Lifecycle in 2015 after discovering how to grow gourmet culinary mushrooms from waste coffee grounds. And that has since exploded into a vast knowledge of all things mushrooms. And we are going to cover that in today's show. Before we get started in that, I want to remind you how important it is to join my newsletter. Not because I'm going to try to sell you a bunch of stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have much to sell you at the moment. I'm working on that this year. Uh, But what is really great about the newsletter is that you can get the show notes from every single episode delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday and even sometimes on Fridays. Why this is important is um, as a listener of podcasts myself, I know that as I'm listening, oftentimes people will drop a resource, whether it be a product or a book or a film or something that I want to check out uh, based on a recommendation from the conversation. And I'll have to stop and screen grab the timestamp on the podcast or try and Google something in my car at a red light and almost get myself into an accident and all kinds of stupid shenanigans that are totally unnecessary if I was just on that podcast newsletter and got their show notes. So what the show notes contain are a bulleted list of everything we talk about as well as hyperlinks, meaning live links that take you directly to all of the things discussed. And I find this to be very valuable on other podcasts. I know one of my favorites is to go on Ben Greenfield's show notes and look up all the crazy stuff that he's always talking about because there's so much uh, sort of technical data dropped in those episodes. And uh, speaking of Ben, when I did my recent Christmas episode with Ben where he came to my house and we did a deep biohacking dive on the entire property, which by the way is... Um, On my website, under the Ben Greenfield episode, there's a two-hour documentary video of that whole thing. But in that episode, we went all out and dropped, I don't know, there's probably 50 links in there or something, because we talked about so many different uh, modalities of healing, etc. So to get on the newsletter, uh, for the old LukeStory.com information, it's super easy, guys. If you're on a U.S. phone, all you have to do is text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. That's one word, lifestylist. And the weird phone number you're going to text is 44222. Uh, Text that word to that number and you're going to get an opt-in to enter your name and email and you will be on the newsletter. If you're not on a US phone, you can simply go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. And uh, I'm very respectful with the newsletters. I only email you when there's something important and high value to share. So uh, that's what's up with that. Let's talk about what we discuss in this conversation with Julian Mitchell, creating the future of food, the most nutritious strains of mushrooms, Why it's so difficult to grow mushrooms on your own, as many aspiring trippers have learned. Exactly what you need to know if you do want to try and grow your own mushrooms. We discussed the incredible new documentary, Fantastic Fungi. Why mushrooms aren't plants, but rather their own kingdom. The potential risk of contamination from mushrooms grown on coffee grounds or other substrate. How to choose high-quality mushroom products the dual extraction process that LifeCycle uses to get the medicine out of the fungi, how to identify whether your mushroom-based products are using high-quality mushrooms or not. There's a lot of uh, sort of controversy and uh, cutting of corners in the mushroom industry specifically, and there's a lot of valuable information given there. The importance of researching the supply chain of the health products that you use, how different functional mushrooms can be used in your biohacking tool belt, Why lion's mane is the closest you can get to the psychedelic mushroom and why it's often added to a stack for microdosing said psychedelic mushrooms. And finally, mushroom biotechnology applications for a healthy planet beyond growing mushrooms to eat, which is a really fascinating topic we get into at the end. So make sure to listen all the way through because it gets nutty in there. So that's what's going on in today's show. Again, join the newsletter by texting the word LIFESTYLIST to the number 44222. Or going to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. And finally, I'm guessing that by the end of this episode, you might want to try out some of these life cycle Medicinal Mushrooms yourself. Uh, for a limited time, you can go to LifeCycle.com, that's L-I-F-E, C-Y-K-E-L. That's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L dot com, lifecycle.com. Enter the code Luke, Save 20 and you're going to get a little hookup from our guest today, as I always try to deliver. If somebody, you know, owns a company, is talking about a product, that's just how we roll. Uh, I think I talk about this in the interview with Julian, but I freaking love these mushrooms. In fact, um, I go through, you know, they're like a liquid extract. We show it in the YouTube video. By the way, there's a YouTube video for 99.9% of the interviews I do. So you can watch these conversations. And I have recently stepped up my video game, bought a couple uh, extra cameras. And, you know, it's going to be looking quite professional in the very near future. I don't remember if we shot this one with the new gear or not. But I'm sitting in my studio here with like 40 tripods around me. It's a disaster, but it's going to look nice and sound really nice. So you can see the products for yourself. But anyway, back to the point, uh, I'm just raging through specifically the lion's mane because I'm you know, really focusing on brain health and productivity and focus and things like that. And that's what it's really good for. So these products are dope. Again, if you want to check them out, go to lifecycle.com. The code's Luke. Save 20 for 20% off. And with that, you are about to have your mind blown with someone who knows a lot about mushrooms, whether they be culinary, psychedelic, medicinal, or used, again, from the biotechnology standpoint. So I'm really excited to deliver this episode with Julian Mitchell. Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks, Luke. Great to be here. Here we are (laughs) once again. So. Julian Mitchell, our guest today. This is our second time hanging out. You came over uh, once before, and we just did a full chill session and download. And I realized, hmm, this guy knows a lot about a lot of things. I need to get him on the show, so I'm glad you're able to
0: make it here today. Awesome. Thanks. i always excited to talk mushrooms.
1: Yeah, and I'm always excited to talk to someone with a different accent, too. <laughs> Obviously, you're from Kentucky, I'm getting? Or... Just
0: south of Kentucky, Australia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool, man. So um, let's just jump right in and talk about how you got your start um, in the business of medicinal mushrooms, which, of course, is going to blossom into a much more widespread project, as I understand it but you're like three years in the game here in, in the business end of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: What first piqued your interest to start to go into the world of
0: fungi? Mm, it was really looking, I guess, at uh, the future of food as a first point of call and and how we're feeding ourselves and how we're going to feed populations in the future and understanding the the GMOs and the, the pesticides and all of these things and where can we go for a clean source of food uh, and incorporating a sustainable aspect to it in terms of deforestation Chemical use, land use, water use. How can we create something economical for the planet in terms of sustainable? And so, mushrooms just ticked all the boxes from an early point of view. We sort of looked at it and saw it as an uncharted continent in terms of growing mushrooms for a food supply um, for a wide range of people in you know across different continents, across different environments because they can grow both indoor and outdoor. But they're very adaptable to the environment. And so that was our first point of call of saying, "Well, hey, no one's really doing that in where we're from." In WA Perth at the time, Ryan and myself, uh, four and a half years ago, and then from there, really, again, it was an uncharted continent of mushrooms with just a wonderland of opportunity um, beyond just putting them on someone's plate, putting them into restaurants. And so that was sort of our initial idea was was that.
1: When you guys started out, did how long did it take you to monetize selling culinary mushrooms to local restaurants and whatnot? And are there any in Australia? Did you have to deal with any regulatory agencies in terms of Food sanitation, origins of food, things like that, to make it commercially available.
0: Yeah, it was um, growing our first mushroom was was almost like having our first kid, which we haven't experienced before. But um, you know, Ryan and I both don't have any children. But in terms of uh, that piece around uh, growing mushrooms, like you mentioned earlier, you know, when you had some plugs and you tried to grow some mushrooms <laughs> off a log, it's you know, it's not as easy as sort of putting <laughs> some tomato seeds. No, I um, think any
1: any kid that's like tried to grow. Um, like when I was a kid, I used to always try to grow weed, you know, and I would end up with male plants or they would get stolen or deer would eat them It was very difficult and i 've known many of people that are like, "Oh, I want to trip out on psychedelic mushrooms and they try to grow those and it 's yeah. not as easy as one might think
0: very complicated, and a lot of the times we' very early we we're growing off of coffee ground and it 's a key part of sort of that circular economy piece of this nutrient source that is you know, farmed and shipped over for only 1% to end up in the cup and the rest to end up as ground that goes to landfill. It's a valuable nutrient resource that can be repurposed and that's what we grow some mushrooms from as well. And so, yeah, doing that was a nice idea but very difficult from a scientific point of view early on and so uh, we had a, a key team member, Chief Scientist Thomas from France join the team who's a biotechnology engineer to help us on that cultivation journey um, because the science was was very difficult.
1: <laughs> that's funny about the, uh, I, I've heard you talk about growing your mushrooms on the medium of coffee grounds. And I think that's really cool for a couple of different reasons. A is because obviously that's just a, a wasted resource, all the energy that goes into growing coffee. And I think about that when I, Throw my grounds down the garbage disposal. I'm like, there's some use of this. And so years ago, I heard someone that they were a rich source of nitrogen. You know, coffee grounds, and that you could put them in soil and things like that as sort of a fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And so I started like putting them in my house plants, and then all my house plants grew mold. I was <laughs> so like, yeah. they must be a great medium to grow fungi because that's exactly what happened to me, but not the spores that I wanted to. So. How far did you guys go with growing mushrooms and selling them to you know the farmers market and restaurants and things like that? Like- yeah, we
0: went. Uh, we were s- s- growing hundreds of kilos at a time, really um, it, per week, because like, they grow super quick. After fourteen days, you've got a crop. Um, so nothing really grows as quick as mushrooms in terms of the value nutrient value that they have. Um, and so we were doing that to restaurants all around our city. And then I guess we just sort of again saw that understanding of what was unfolding in terms of mushrooms their capabilities from a medicinal point of view the interest of the time was really around cbd and cbd was early in the space four and a half years ago and understanding people want that natural ailment or that natural solution um, in their everyday life as a preventative measure as well and so looking at these medicinal mushrooms because we were at that time just growing oyster mushrooms and lion's mane and some others from a culinary point of view but looking at those mushrooms themselves are very powerful from a medicinal point of view, but looking at the others, such as reishi, cordyceps, turkey tail,
1: are lion's mane mushrooms. Also, they're also a culinary mushroom.
0: They are. They're known as lobster of the woods. Oh, really? Uh, they taste like lobster in your mouth, quite uh, different and quite delicious. That's funny. You know, I was, when I was
1: thinking about uh, prepping this episode and knowing that you you did have some background in the culinary side of mushrooms, and I've never liked eating mushrooms. Mm. I mean, I've eaten a lot of psychedelic mushrooms and I love medicinal mushrooms, which we're going to, of course, talk about. But culinary mushrooms that you get, you know, that come in your pasta or on a pizza or something like that, I've just always hated the flavor and the texture. But in preparation for this interview, it just happened <laughs> to be fateful that this took place. But I was at a uh, a private dinner last night at a place here called Cafe Gratitude in their yeah. um, Beverly Hills restaurant. And they had a uh, kind of a, opening celebration type thing and they had the members of this um kind of 60s 70s cult called uh, source family mm-hmm. and the members were there so i really wanted to go for that if anyone hasn't seen the documentary about the source family like do yourself a favor and watch it it's fascinating but so some of the ogs from the source family were there and then everyone wore white it was this really great event and then one of the dishes was, you know, it's all vegan food, which I typically have a hard time getting full from or digesting in many cases, mm-hmm. but they do that type of food well. it was delicious. And so um, then one of the main two courses was like all mushrooms. And I just thought, maybe I just have this idea that I don't like mushrooms. And I've just held on to that idea since I was 10 because I got sick off of mushroom pizza, I think at one point. Mm. And uh, I used to think I was allergic to them because of that. Then I realized, no, I just don't like the taste. So last night, I gave it like a completely open minded, fair trial on some, what were probably, I don't know what variety they were, but probably some high quality, um, you know, culinary mushrooms. Took a few bites and I'm like, no, I still hate mushrooms. <laughs> you know, I just can't do it. Uh, it's just weird. But so many, I, I don't know very many people that don't like. Eating it's a mushrooms. hate or love
0: relationship with those. It is. Those, so I'm not. Yeah, deal, no, you're, I just, you're not a Anytime fine. I tell someone yeah. that, they're
1: like, "What? Mushrooms yeah. are delicious. How could yeah. you not like them?" But yeah. mushrooms and also eggs. Like I eat yeah. egg yolks in my smoothies because I just mask the flavor, and I like the you know the medicine that's in eggs. Yeah. But um, yeah, eggs and mushrooms are just two foods I've never been able to get past. Yeah. But anyway, enough about me. Um, <laughs> when it comes to culinary mushrooms, what are the most nutritious? of those varieties. Like I have a Mm. feeling when I walk in the grocery store and see those little common button mushrooms, maybe those aren't so great, Mm. but perhaps some of the more obscure or rarefied varietals might be
0: more um, nutritionally dense. There's over 300 strains that are edible um, that we know of that are open to to different markets. But the button mushroom or the champignon, maybe it's called over here, is um, a very standard mushroom that we all know of it's almost the mushroom of economics in terms of its shelf life is stable, it's much easier to grow, but the medicinal benefits are lower. Still good benefits, um, but nothing compared to if you're eating lion's mane, if you're eating shiitake mushroom, if you're eating the oyster mushroom, which is sort of one of the specialty mushrooms that we were growing mostly was the oyster mushroom, the king oyster, pink oyster, um, has great compounds such as ergothionine, um, vitamin D, vitamin K, B vitamins. And so... If you're putting mushrooms in your diet, you're on the right track, absolutely. Um, And if you don't have a hate relationship for them, that's a bonus. But that's also, I guess, why we went down the path of the extracts as well because a lot of people maybe don't consume them one as much um, and don't have access to those gourmet mushrooms and you've got to eat a lot more of them to get those compounds.
1: Right. So did you guys find at one point... um that scalability was challenging just as a business. Like, okay, there's a few of us and we were able to grow tons of these mushrooms and sell them locally. But I imagine due to shelf stability, etc., it's probably difficult to be shipping culinary mushrooms around.
0: Exactly. It was sort of both in terms of an excitement point of view, um, what we wanted to be investigating from a biotechnology point of view. I guess we started off as farmers in a true sense and now we're a biotechnology company and we made that shift very early. By bringing on the science, by bringing on you know biotechnology engineer and other scientists in that space, microbiologists um, working with nanotechnologists and working with mycologists, and so names that we never knew when we got into the business, right, right. Uh, but going along that learning journey, um, understood again that you know those biotechnology applications were something we're very passionate about for solving real world problems. Uh, but starting with you know human extracts as well was very something we were very passionate about. Because we're able to up, optimize and you know hopefully unlock people's true potential in the sense of you know helping them overcome any issues they may have with their own bodies, with their own microbiome within their own uh, brain, within their own you know cardiovascular system as a as a step one. But beyond that, then we've got the other things that we can touch on as well. You know the decontamination of soils and many other applications. So yeah, there's a lot there.
1: <laughs> when you guys, yeah, we're definitely going to get into all of that. Um... I have somewhat of a loose plan of how this is going to go, but I'm now I'm sort of becoming curious more about the process of growing mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a buddy in Colorado who will remain unnamed, I guess, because <laughs> technically he's breaking a few laws, but he's growing um uh, psychedelic mushroom, penis envy mushrooms is the variety okay. specific. Uh, they have a scientific name, but that's what everyone calls them for obvious reasons. If you saw one, you'd know why, uh, but really potent psychedelic mushrooms. And he's, he's doing his thing and he showed me his operation and it's very complex. It's it's mm. sort of like it looks like what you would keep an iguana in. You know, there's like <laughs> a fish tank, but there's temperature controlled and you have to keep germs out. So there's air filters and all sorts of little meters for the humidity and the temperature. And it looked to be quite complex. So is this, you know, if someone was like, hey, I want to not for psychedelic mushrooms per se, but I want to grow a medicinal mushroom like my failed reishi mushroom Mm. growth attempt that I alluded to earlier and um, people that might want to grow some shiitake mushrooms or oyster mushrooms like is it really difficult for a novice without a lot of scientific prowess to successfully grow mushrooms without them becoming contaminated or suspect to mold or whatever can Mm, go wrong?
0: mm, Very good question yeah it's it's very complicated and very simple in many ways. Once you understand the the equation and the algorithms of humidity control, oxygen control, CO two control, moisture content, quality of the substrate that you're using, and so all of those things are very important. Um, and I guess going into it early, <coughs> excuse me, um, it was very difficult for us learning that process. But as we went down that path, as I said, bringing on science to the table and once you're wanting to scale up that's when it gets difficult if you want to grow a couple of kilos of mushrooms that's reasonably okay you know it's not too difficult if you dedicate 20 30 40 hours to learning but beyond that if you want to scale it yeah then you need to i guess go deeply into the science into the equipment you're using to grow those fresh mushrooms
1: when you're a novice grower and things go wrong, what does that look like? Nothing happens, which is what happened to me when I tried to go reishi mushrooms. Just, I'd go out and check every day. I'm like, nope, nothing happening. And then I just gave up and the log just sat there and maybe grew mushrooms eventually on its own from rotting in my backyard. Um, so does just nothing happen or do they? does the crop sort of become... Uh, Contaminated or corrupt in some way where now there's you know other mold or weird stuff growing that you don't want in there. like what happens when it doesn't work right?
0: Exactly. You get, it's almost like a race. You're setting the mushroom spawn up to overtake the substrate, um, but it's really a fight between the fungi and the bacteria. And that's been a fight since millennia between fungi and millennia. and so uh, those two are battle you know go against each other for so, such a long period of time. That's why what we can go into is that the mushrooms are amazing. Uh, against fighting bacterial infections, and, invite, and so a lot of them are antibacterial. That's why a lot of them <clears throat> play an important role in, you know, a- antibiotic replacement. So antimicrobial resistance, and so mushrooms. When you're growing them, really the fight is between giving them the best opportunity to take over that substrate to grow mushrooms versus the bacteria winning that fight. And so what you probably saw in your case, or what people see very often, is that the bacteria wins. Uh, and overtakes the fungi in the early days. And so you see trichoderma, which is this green mold on the mushrooms. And so very key part um, is keeping a hygienic environment and making sure you do everything right to help the mushrooms uh, win that battle. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I,
1: I guess right now I'm just so, I'm so fascinated by this kingdom, which mm-hmm. I always have been in the periphery and I've been using medicinal mushrooms of all different types for a long, long time but after seeing this uh recent film which i encourage people to go out and see i'm sure by the time this particular conversation airs it'll mm-hmm. be more widely available but um it pre-screened in a few cities and you s- indicated that you had seen it as well fantastic fungi yeah paul Stamitz and michael Pollan and all these great people in there and they're i mean that it was not only like just an interesting subject but i thought the film was so well done it was really it was brilliant Right, I yeah. mean, it was just like the yeah. graphics and yeah. just the production value was so high, and the story that it told and the narrative that was sort of weaved throughout mm-hmm. um, with all the different applications from environmental to medicinal mushrooms to the yeah. psychedelic um, part of it, and it was just so fascinating. And I just got it was a perfect timing to set up this <laughs> this conversation because I got like so kind of reinvigorated about it. and Just like God, these these this kingdom of whatever uh is just so bizarre and it's it's not a plant it's not an animal the fungi kingdom is its own world and it's almost otherworldly and when you talk about the kind of everlong battle you know going back through origin of creation between bacteria and fungi and how there's always this balance and mm-hmm. this battle for um life it's just it's so interesting that now we're at a point technologically where we can create environments and harness the power of these mushrooms, and then start to begin to use them for all different things, which is what we're going to, of course, go into. So it's mm. super exciting stuff. I just find these little creatures are just so weird.
0: It's, I mean, it's, it's trippy. It's going to be a very big topic over the next ten years, really, in terms of all of those applications. In the movie that was spoken about, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a kingdom that's been sort of uncharted for a long time. So we've got a lot of problems that we need to solve quickly (laughs) i
1: think yeah and also framing it as its own kingdom is important too um from the perspective that i i see mushrooms sort of categorized as um like people that eat plant-based include mushrooms and i'm like well that's not a plant though (laughs) you know it's its own thing it's not just another vegetable or another fruit it's kind of like the term you hear a lot like oh you got to eat your fruits and vegetables Mm. as if they're the same thing when in fact they're
0: they're so different you know Yeah.
1: yeah And I think this other kingdom is um, just a really fascinating
0: thing to explore. The mushrooms are the conduit between the paleos and the vegans and the vegetarians because everyone can agree on them.
1: Right, right, (laughs) right. Yeah, because it's not a plant or an animal. (laughs) And it's good for everyone. Um, when When you guys started growing on coffee grounds, what was the... Uh, what was the motivation there versus using rice or some of the mm-hmm. other sawdust, some of the other yeah. things that people use as a growing medium?
0: Yeah, it was really just around the city we were in it has a lot of cafes. It has a very big cafe culture. I mean, the whole world has a pretty big coffee culture. And so we understood this was an underutilized resource. And just looking at a circular economics and how do we close the loop on, I guess, waste. That's, not necessarily waste and has another purpose in life, and that was the coffee ground. And so, that was something that we looked into. Had read about mushrooms being very good recyclers, dissemblers, very good in their DNA at adapting to nutrients and what they use as nutrients. And so, typically, yes, saw, saw sawdust is used, or other straw, or other you know pallets, or rice are used. But coffee ground is another great substitute. Husks um, from the hemp industry can be used. So. They're very intelligent. They adapt very quickly to what they can then digest and then they can turn that into you know, something that they can then grow and thrive and create medicinal compounds from. And so because we we're at a place where coffee ground was, was in abundance, um, we trialed that and we used that and that is one of the key elements of what we grow with.
1: Is there any issue with uh, pesticide residue or toxicity in coffee grounds? if the If the... Mycelium and then the fruiting body of a mushroom is coming from just thin air, water, and coffee. And Mm. coffee beans being uh, worldwide one of the most pesticide laden Mm. things that we ingest. Is there any uh, possibility of contamination from those pesticides being, you know, becoming uh, part of the mushroom's life?
0: Mm. We're very specific on where we collect the coffee ground from, which is important. But then, of course, always you know doing our validity testing in terms of mycotoxin testing, pesticide testing, and to see you know if anything's coming through to the mushroom itself or to the mycelium, which it's which it's not, which is quite remarkable. Um, so that was very important just to be able to show that.
1: So that's how you fix it. You just test the end result, the end product, and make sure that nothing came through, and work on sourcing to make sure you're not. I'm just imagining like mm. shite coffee, like you know the Folgers and the tin can yeah. to the grocery store like god knows where that coffee even we weren't going from to starbucks
0: and... but starbucks doesn't really right. exist in australia so it's sort of a bit coffee snobs in uh, in australia and so oh you are it's uh very much high quality only uh, according to the Brewsters in australia we are very proud of our coffee
1: are there uh, and this is kind of off topic but just delving into the coffee thing are there strict regulations in Australia in terms of testing coffee from mycotoxins and pesticides, et cetera, like there are in Europe versus the United States where we get pretty much the shit coffee that's left over that the other countries with more strict regulations won't allow to be imported?
0: Yeah, we're a lot closer to Europe in terms of the testing and and the due diligence that goes into it. And it's just such a competitive market. And I think wherever there's uh, competition, then companies want to lead. And so how do they lead? They lead by transparency and trust with their consumer and their customer and so I guess touching on not just coffee but other substrates and taking a tangent is I think testing needs to occur across all foods you know in terms of what's been sprayed what hasn't been and I think that's another area that going forward over the next five years consumers are going to want for every food product I know for myself I will Um, you know what's been sprayed with glyphosate what hasn't Um, what are we consuming on that lettuce on those peanuts on those almonds on those macadamias on those eggplants so I think that those kinds of foods all need to have that transparency.
1: That's a really good point. Anyone listening in the food space, <laughs> economically speaking, I think mm-hmm. that is because of podcasts like this and the proliferation of information that used to be sort of hidden, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, now we're becoming more aware of that. And you see this in the supplement industry. I'll even be vetting something that I find on Amazon. I'm like, oh, I need a K2 supplement or this or that. So I yeah. start looking for the best of the best which is something I enjoy doing because then I can get the best stuff for myself and then share it with my audience and in my online store and whatnot. But now I'm seeing, it used to be very difficult. I would have to call or email a company being like, Hey, do you test for mycotoxins, heavy metals, yeast, mold, et cetera. Where's this stuff coming from? Yeah. And I'd have to reach out to those companies. And now I'm finding on websites of supplement brands and even on their Amazon kind of info um, copy, it will indicate like all of the testing for all of those things, which is interesting, which is indicative of the public demand and the public general awareness that just because something says it's a supplement or vitamin or an herb that's good for me, there could be a relatively high risk of contamination considering the origins and the sort of um, supply chain of where that came from. So I think you're right as that moves into food. And imagine when you go into the bulk, like, I'm thinking of the bulk bins at the health food store when I was a kid in the 70s. You know, there'd be like granola and oats and rice and all these different nuts. It's like those are all silo, especially grains are silo foods, you yeah, know, and they're yeah. they're storable, yeah. have a long shelf life, which means they're much more susceptible to exposure to yeast, mold, etc.
0: Yeah, with our products in the the new year, we will be bringing out pretty much a QR code, which will then be attached to the batch number and attached to the mycotoxin testing, pesticide testing, amino acids, beta-glucans, all of the important compounds within the mushroom. So again, just be transparent with that. So you can click on the bottle and you can see the QR code and then you can go straight to the lab testing. Oh, no
1: way. Yeah. From that batch? Yeah. Damn, son, that's taking it to another level. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Because even with something you get off Amazon, right? I mean, you still don't know. (laughs) You know, 100% they can say tested for this, that and show you their lab results. But then again, you know, are the regulatory agencies really on top of them in terms of what batch was tested? Like maybe they've had a batch tested and had clean labs come back from that, but not necessarily every batch and certainly not to the degree of traceability that you're describing.
0: Yeah and you've seen that in the CBD industry I guess in terms of efficacy uh, in terms of you know a lot of people saying oh well, CBDs don't really work for me or they do or they don't or there's a lot of inconsistency there and there's a lot of inconsistency in quality of product and I think you're going to see that in mushrooms as well as it becomes an attractive area you're going to see you know, hundreds of, of companies in that powder space as well and so I guess you've got to ask yourself those questions around where will the mushrooms grow and how would they grow and um, you know, Are there heavy metal testing? Is there pesticide testing, mycotoxin testing available to see? Um, and then what are the actual con- constitutes within the mushroom in terms of beta-glucans and other things, which is very early in the science for for what those compounds actually do. We have a nanotechnologist who works with us who's doing his PhD at the moment on beta-glucans and really we're still trying to understand and identify uh, what each one does and And so it's very early in the science but I think just going back to those very simple questions, where were my mushrooms growing, how were they growing, Uh, what environment were they growing in because mushrooms are batteries, they're absorbers of their environment more than anything and so they absorb the soil, they absorb the water, they absorb the air that they're growing in and so um, you know, we grow our mushrooms in Byron Bay which is, I'm not sure if you've been there but it's almost like a, it's very pristine, it's almost like a a Hawaii um, but uh, in an Australian sort of way. And so it's very untouched in in many ways. It has an amazing environment to grow food.
1: And uh, you guys, and for those of you watching on the YouTube video, if I got I got our new camera set up here. Um, you can see the products I'm talking about because when someone comes on the show and they have a book or a product, I decided I'm going to be like our TV show and have it like <laughs> sitting right here. Um, but your extracts that we're going to you know, get into the different ones and all the different medicinal mushrooms and what they can do for you and stuff. Um, you guys chose to do a liquid uh, dual extraction process, mm. which we'll talk about. What are, you know, if you just randomly go on Amazon and you're like, oh, reishi mushrooms good for you. I'm just going to order some random powder or something like that. Or most of these coming from China, as I understand them. And uh, because mushrooms are the absorbers of their environment, which is one of the great things about them. If their environment is awesome, they're taking in that information from nature. But if it's, you know, if they're being grown outside of Beijing, like under heavy pollution, is 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 that an issue in general in the industry? And is that why you guys decided rather than just importing bulk mushrooms and repackaging them, we're just going to like have control of the entire process?
0: Exactly. And I was sort of, again, learning from that CBD space as well um, that was unfolding at the same time and understanding the consumer and me being a consumer and you being a consumer, what do you want? Uh, and so it's, I guess, yeah, 95% of mushrooms at least uh, on the market will be coming from China. And I, I visited China four years ago on a young entrepreneurship trip and so sort of saw that environment, amazing things that they're doing in AI and the technology and, and these areas. But when it sort of comes to food as an Australian, we know, you, know, you don't buy avocados or oranges um, or any other food product necessarily from China. It's more so the other way around where middle-class China, who can afford it, import everything that they can from a food point of view. And so there is some question marks over that um, in, in many ways. And I guess beyond that, just being able to show transparency and just understanding that if you understand the science of mushrooms, there's so much innovation to occur there with the product. And so here yeah, we do it down that path of vertically integrating our business which means, you know, we're we're doing everything from lab culture, from harvesting the mushroom strain, uh, you know, in different parts of Australia, or sometimes over in Canada, or sometimes in North America, having that culture and then growing it out into a mushroom, and then, uh, you know, farming that mushroom, and then also beyond that, turning it into an extract. So we do the whole vertical chain, and that I guess allows us to have quality assurance of the product, and hopefully allows us also we believe to make the best quality product because we're constantly innovating. We've got a team of scientists that are wanting to, to do good on that front. And you know, it's been great having people like Dave Asprey, um, I guess, you know, support that process because when we first sort of sent some stuff to him, he was sort of like, had tried the powders, had them in the bulletproof cafes, nothing really noticeable for him. And as a biohacker, he's, I guess, very in tune with what he's feeling and what he's not. And so he sort of, said, oh, you know, gave up a little bit on medicinal mushrooms. But then um, you know, he was first thing he really noticed was his REM sleep improved and his dreaming improved from the lion's mane that we have. And so, um, yeah, I guess when we first bring out these extracts, even for myself, I was like, I'm not sure if we can sell them because it was a very noticeable difference um, that you were getting from them. And so, again, that quality assurance process is understanding where the mushrooms came from, how they grow. And I think going forward, uh, the more you can tell that story as a business, Um, the more trust you can build within your community. And of course, you can make a higher product in terms of efficacy. And that's what people want when they're buying these products. Do they feel something or do they not? Is
1: there any uh, issue with the, how do I say this, like the genetics of a strain? So would say um, a lion's mane or a reishi strain genetically be diluted if you're not getting like the spores from a source where the strain has proven to have the medicine in it to the degree that you want. I'm thinking about cannabis here, right? So there's so many different strains of cannabis and all these hybrids. And when you want to grow a cannabis plant, like it's all in that seed, right? What is in essence, the seed of a medicinal mushroom and how much of a role does that play in its ability to actually have health benefits?
0: Exactly. And that's really where it starts. It starts at that. At that uh, on that petri dish and how you're growing that mycelium and that hyphae, the little white threads, the base of the mushroom, how that's growing out. But we have a team member who's pretty much in charge of strain management. So oh, making sure weekly that they're healthy, or making sure that they're constantly being renewed and so they're not weakening and so they're very potent. And so again, that sort of becomes its own sort of role and key part of the whole process. So why is that end product so good? Well, it's all the way along that supply chain. Was strain management is one task of of thirty that uh, you know needs to be I guess done to ensure that you know product is is high quality and that you're getting those benefits. So when it comes to agriculture, something that I think a lot of people are unaware
1: of, and I, I wasn't for a long time, in the development of our agricultural system and our ability to grow plants vegetables to eat mm. right we were talking about this earlier before we recorded just the the food supply chain has become so diluted and hybridized right and humans have <laughs> like the dumb that we are we've bred out the medicine of mm. most of the the vegetation that we eat so there's that's why there's such a um a difference between like, if you go to the store and get some dandelion greens, which are not really hybridized, but close to the wild Mm -hmm. dandelion greens you'd get out, you know, just collecting in nature seasonally. You chew on some dandelion greens, that shit is bitter. It's not (laughs) really palatable. Yeah. But if you get some iceberg lettuce, you know, it's just basically water. So that Mm -hmm. means all of the bitters and the medicines have been bred out of that. So as we've hybridized, we've actually lost a lot of the heirloom or heritage seeds. Yeah that would have been unadulterated, you know, pre 12, 15,000 years ago or whatever, right? As plants were found in the wild. And then we bred plants together to make them uh, more manageable and more palatable. But we've systematically kind of removed the medicine from plants, yeah. not to mention, you know, the soil, which is where the plants are getting the nutrients from. So I think that's really interesting when it comes to the cultivation of mushrooms, especially mushrooms whose intent is to be medicinal, like the ones right here. That that must be a really important part of it. That you're making sure that it doesn't get adulterated along the supply chain, so we end up with sawdust or just colored water in an extract.
0: Right? Exactly, exactly. And it's um, it's a fun being a biotechnology company. You know, biotechnology companies can go in two directions. They can adulterate things too much. Um, you know, chemical companies or pharmaceutical companies that I guess you know very focused on one compound, whereas our sort of belief is keeping it as whole body or as whole fruit. And it crossed the life cycle of the entire plant and encompassing all of that so it's a full spectrum product and putting it in extract because it's bioavailable and so it's it's working with technology and then it's working with biology and I guess trying to harmonize that relationship um, you know and keeping things you know I guess as natural as possible is the key because we always overstep the mark sometimes as humans and think that we know better and think that we can uh, you know outsmart um, with some new gadget uh, this biological system that we have.
1: <laughs> Welcome to my life every day
0: uh, on my own biology.
1: But uh, going back to the the extraction methods and the mm-hmm. end product of a of a supplement like a medicinal mushroom product, where you guys are now doing a, a dual extract, so you're using water and then you're using alcohol to get that medicine out of the fungi. Is that
0: correct? Yeah, exactly. So you're doing a, a water and a fat soluble. Um, extract and you need that to really pull out. You know, you can buy some reishi fruiting body chunks, and you can put them in some tea, and you can get some compounds. But really, you're only going to get twenty five to forty percent of the compounds out of that uh, out of that mushroom. You're not going to get you know, through the ethanol extraction, and how that's done, you can pull a varying amount of extra, of triterpenoids and other polysaccharides and beta glucan compounds out of the mushroom, and so. Yeah, you really need to have a dual extract um, as a baseline, and then it's really how well is it extracted. And then there's really that discussion around mycelium and fruiting body, and which one's better. And I guess, you know, as I was sort of mentioning before, really, it's a matter of, you know, we believe in working across the whole life cycle of the mushroom because there is value in mycelium, absolutely. Just like when you're looking at a fruiting body, if you imagine that as an, an elderly person, um, there are compounds there, there are benefits there, but it is aged and it is on its way out, it's degrading but it still does have some important compounds. But the mycelium is youthful, is vigorous, is, is very adaptive, is fighting uh, to grow and is expressing a lot of medicinal compounds. And so the key conversation there is if there's mycelium involved, which there should be in a good product, how much starch is involved and that needs to be next to nothing. And I guess through our own processes that we have patented, we're able to get it down to 0.18% starch. So next to no starch. It's just pure mycelium which has a uh, great medicinal benefits.
1: There's a lot of, I'm glad you brought this up because there's a lot of confusion, I think, um, in terms of, picture your cookie. Um, <laughs> this weird thing. My dog looks so cute when her little ears are down, but for some reason when like she flips them over and then the pink part shows, cuteness goes down by 50%. <laughs> Thankfully, she can't understand English. I'm sorry, cookie. She's our, now our permanent co-host. Pretty much every show I do, she comes and sits with the guests. It's yeah. quite sweet. Yeah, yeah. Very peaceful. Yeah. I think it's, it's like she's my little oxytocin booster. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Going back to the mycelium versus mm-hmm. fruiting body, I think there's a lot of consumer confusion and also debate amongst the manufacturers of mushroom products as to whose is the best. There's this mm-hmm. you know rivalry kind of going on. And in that recent film, Fantastic Fungi, um, Paul Stamets, who's arguably one of the world's foremost experts on all things mushrooms of all types, makes a really strong point and um, indicates there's now a lot of research being done that would support the idea that the mycelium is really where the medicine is concentrated and that's yeah. what you want. Yeah. And then he has a company called Host Defense that um, makes medicinal mushroom products and capsules and whatnot. And... um, and there have been other companies like that too. And I don't want to be disparaging toward his stuff because I haven't you know, I haven't opened up his bottles in a long time. But mm-hmm. it's one of the ones I've tried. And there seem to be a lot of products that do have a lot of that starch in them. And I think I've been confused about, well, is that starch like the growing medium that just ends up in a capsule? Because when I open it up, it doesn't have a smell. It doesn't really have a taste. Yeah. Am I just eating a bunch of sawdust or rice fiber? and or am i getting the medicine in the mycelium so i find Good. this to be very confusing yeah. i guess like you guys are like it doesn't matter we're just going to extract it all out and you're going to get the the medicinal components or constituents mm. rather that are in the mycelium and the fruiting body you're going to put them in a liquid extract and then you don't have to worry about any of that yeah but do you think i don't you know i don't want you to point fingers and like put other people down cuz you're a very high vibe guy you're not going to be like our products the best don't buy other shit but are there a lot of mushroom products just frankly on the market that suck and are just basically like rice powder and a bunch of sawdust that don't have any of the medicinal
0: constituents left in them? You've got some of that and you definitely have a lot of products that are imported from China that are repackaged and labeled and, and then you don't have a, a, a supply chain transparency or traceability growing in, you know, in China where you know that 45% of farmable land is now not farmable. Because of the way that they've sort of, you know, polluted their own environment, and so you've got both issues arising in terms of the quality of the product. Is there starch in this product? You know, from a locally grown product, or is it an imported product? And you don't know really the efficacy behind it and the potency behind it, and it's in a powder form as well, which isn't as bioavailable. And so you've got sort of both. Things happening. And I'm pretty sure in the CBD space, you've got those same debates happening across different things. And there's always economic bias as to why people are saying what they're saying. And that, that occurs, you know, because maybe they're getting their mushrooms from China, so they're going to support the China story, or maybe they're growing them here and they want to support that story. And so I guess you have to ask those questions around, yeah, you know, where was it growing? How was it growing? And just, first of all, try the product for yourself. Did you notice anything? You know, and I guess with us, and uh, you know what you were saying before. You know, typically, you've, maybe you're feeling a, a grainy taste to it. Um, so with the extracts, you know, there's you're getting more light sweetness because mycelium is actually quite sweet. If you eat pure mycelium, it's actually quite palatable. It's quite nice. You can you can eat it. It's got a sweet taste to it.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it with the the powder extracts.
1: Do I have this right? Because there's a there's a A couple companies that I really like the powdered extract, like of course, Four Sigmatic. Anyone listens Mm -hmm. to this show, you hear me talk about all the time. I use them constantly. Um, They're also more palatable. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like I don't think if someone had cancer, I wouldn't be like, "Hey, have one little packet of Four Sigmatic every morning." (laughs) I'd be like, "You need to like mega dose on (laughs) reishi, like drink a whole bottle of this, and you know, five tablespoons of that extract." So, you know, it depends on what your your kind of purpose is and where mm-hmm. your health is. Um, there's another company, I I love their reishi extract called um longevity power. Yeah. And they make this like I mean, it looks like powdered coffee. It's like dark, dark, yeah. almost black, really potent powdered extract of yeah. Reishi. It's quite bitter. It's totally unpalatable. It would never <laughs> take the place um in a mega dose of something like a four sigmatic, which yeah. is, you know, has all these other herbs and it's quite palatable and mixes well in coffee and whatnot. So I use a number of different powdered extracts, also real mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I interviewed a guy named Jeff Chilton, uh, who's an old buddy of Paul Stamets, like an OG mushroom importer. Their mushrooms come from China, but up in the mountains where it's not polluted. So I kind of asked him about that issue Mm -hmm. too, as do, as far as I understand, the other two aforementioned brands. So there are some good powders out there. Um, I think the issues with those at times is that they're not that palatable. Like if I take the reishi powder that I just described and put that in your coffee, you'd be like, ew, this is too bitter.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't care though. Not in a small dose, but in a mega dose, I don't care because I just want the medicine. To me, like everything that I ingest for the most part is for its effect, not because I want it to be palatable. If Mm -hmm. I want palatable, I go out to a farm to table restaurant and have a nice meal, right? Yeah. That's not why I'm making a smoothie. I want, I want the juice, man. Yeah. So, when it comes to um two th- two things i'm trying to make this into a question and not a rant but <laughs> two things is when it comes to sourcing from china i'm assuming it depends on where they're coming from right i mean there's it's a massive country mm-hmm. and there are areas in which there are mushrooms being grown you know for medicinal purposes where it is pristine and not polluted yeah right i mean I'm,
0: there are places there are I guess forests and things in China right. uh, where you can where you can do this and I think I don't want to single out China as a thing I think as a as a sustainable method going forward um you know what's the carbon footprint of our food and understanding that you know we should be eating locally sourced food for many reasons, for example, honey should be eaten from its local environment because then, that way you're getting the antiviral and the antibacterial and the flowers and the you know immune benefits from your local flora and fauna. So there's benefits to that as well from an energetics point of view and from an antiviral and antibacterial point of view. So I guess from our point of view as a company, we just believe in locally growing product um, and and being as transparent as possible. And if you can do that, then that's a good start And educating the market on um, those key points as to how to, I guess, identify a good quality product. And again, like you said, where you're up to can be a great entry-level piece you know because it's sort of a you know I'm very new to mushrooms and I want to try some um, extracts and liquid extracts so you know we find we have you know elite athletes and professional surfers and different forms of people using these products from a performance point of view Dave because asprey because they want that they want to feel it um, immediately or, or quickly um, to know that that's working for them so I think it is a balance between yeah we've been stuck in that model of if it tastes bad it must be good for us um, I don't think is always the case. (laughs) That's that's been something I've struggled with a
1: lot because then, like for example, I just got two giant jugs of my Sir Thrival colostrum Mm. and that's a health product that tastes freaking delicious and it's also really good for you. Mm. So if you just tasted that, you'd think, wow, this kind of tastes like vanilla, milky, buttery, delicious, kind of like a powdered creamer, I guess you could say. You could mix it into a smoothie or Elixir or something like that. So something like that, you, you'd you never imagine that it has all these immunomodulating benefits and um, steroidal benefits and, and all of these great medicines in it. It just tastes like a milk powder, you yeah. know? And then there are other things that have horrific taste. I remember years ago, I used to get these um, fresh juices of bitter melon, which will almost make you pass out. No one makes it anymore because it's like no one can handle <laughs> it. but. That's on the opposite spectrum, where no one except the most psycho person like me is ever going to drink bitter melon extract raw, like fresh juice. It's just it—it literally almost makes you fall down. It tastes so Mm -hmm. strong and so bad, but there's so much medicine in it. So I think it is, you know, a balance of kind of really getting to know the different companies that you're buying your products from Mm. and doing a bit of research and understanding like where they're sourcing. And as you keep mentioning that word transparency Mm. of like, does it say on the bottle where it comes from and the, you know, the origins of the supply chain and its impact on the local economy, where it's from and the people that are producing it and the employees and everything that goes into it, I think is really, really important. And it's exciting that that's becoming more widespread and a brand like yours is going to build value on the relationship of transparency to the customer, where you can go like, here, want pictures of our lab? It's right here. Yeah. But uh, what I was alluding to before, the second part of my question was you know, leaving apart the, okay, we've got a good origin source. We know it's clean. It wasn't from a crappy place in China, etc. Um, and uh, we were hoping that the strains are valid and all of that. But when it comes to the absorption, this is what I'm curious about. If I'm doing a Powdered extract is that powdered extract made from uh, like doing the water and the alcohol extract, making it into a liquid, and then spray drying it into some sort of powder medium? Like, what do they use? Like maltodextrin or? Something like that to make it into a powder again, and then you're doing that extract, would it not be more beneficial? And maybe the answer is yes, which is why you guys are doing it to just keep it as a liquid
0: rather than trying to reconstitute it as a powder. It's always that balance between, I guess, you know, trying to make it as convenient for the customer. And so that's why taste is very important, like we've been speaking about, but also to not add add our. You know, not interfere with that process as much as possible and keep it in its natural form as much as possible and that includes the compounds as well. And So when you transition them from a liquid to a powder, um, you know, subjectively we know that you know, it's definitely decreasing the potency but um, on a scientific level the bioavailability is decreasing as well.
2: Right. Just like when
0: you grab a tomato and if you pick that tomato and it's in your backyard, it tastes a lot better than if you get something from the shops because energetically and bioavailable wise, you know, it's so much fresher, and so this is, the, I guess, the piece with the extracts is that bioavailability and also how it's absorbed. It's not going necessarily through your stomach; it's going sublingually, straight under your tongue. It's a very common way that people take it, so you're absorbing it quicker. So, absorption modalities in, are very important. You know, oral sprays, liquid extracts versus powders—they um, will have different absorption rates.
1: Yes, yes, okay. That's where I wanted to go because. Even if you have a high quality powdered extract, if you're eating it, then it's got to go through the whole digestive process. And what you really want is for the medicine in that thing you're taking to be in your blood. Like that's where we're trying to get it, right? As quickly as possible. So if you've got a potent extract and you're doing it sublingually under your tongue, then the capillaries in the mucous membrane in your mouth are actually going to uptake that directly without the interference of having to go through your different organ systems in the digestive tract and be subject to the rather hostile environment mm. in terms of the pH and the acidity in your stomach too, which things like probiotics
0: oftentimes don't survive through. Exactly. And, it, and it's also keeping it alive as much as possible in its active form, which in a liquid in, a, in its ethanol water extract solution, it's, uh, it is more alive. Is there
1: assistance of the alcohol not just as a preservative but as a carrier? Is, is there not like some uh, vasodilation happening when you do a sublingual tincture that has alcohol in it? Is there better absorption because of that as well versus just something that has glycerin in it or something?
0: Exactly. That's, and that's sort of a question we sort of get is, oh, do you do a glycerin uh, version, which glycerin is, do get good uptake, but that vasodilation you get with the ethanol compounded with the fact that you're getting those Tri terpenoids and the other compounds um, from that extraction process um, just make for, you know, I guess a faster absorbing, uh, more noticeable product.
1: I definitely have noticed two things mm. uh, with your guys' stuff is the lion's mane. And we'll, we'll talk about the different ways that you can stack lion's mane, but I'll do pretty mega doses of that to test out two things just cognition, focus mental acuity in general, and then also improving REM sleep, uh, both of which have been dramatically improved from doing like a few droppers under the tongue and I hold it there forever and just let it all soak in. Mm. And then also using the cordyceps uh, before working out. And I need all the help I can get when I work out. It's (laughs) not not something I particularly enjoy doing, but I I have built it into a fairly um, regular practice. And I find that I'm... Definitely more... um, I'm just stronger. Like I have a little more endurance when I do the cordyceps, which is, I know, one that's really popular with athletes. So let's break down kind of the different, most common medicinal mushrooms that people use and what they use them for. And I guess we could start with kind of the... In the Chinese medicine world, reishi being you know, the mac daddy of them all.
0: The mac daddy, the, the mushroom of immortality, exactly. So that's, uh, I mean, when I was over in China, it's on all the temples, it's in a lot of artwork over there. Um, it's very revered for a long time. It was seen as a, as a gift very early on in terms of something that you would give a family member to keep away bad spirits. and That was sort of the Eastern philosophy of it, but then it moved into consuming it in a tea and in extracts. And really what we know is it's an immunomodulator, it's non-specific, and so... When people say, what does this mushroom do? You know, does it work on this or this or this? Uh, they're so vast and so broad spectrum and what they can do is they're very, you know, smart in, I guess, identifying and at their core, upgrading the immune software. And that immune software of your natural killer cells, your macrophages, your phagocytes, can then, with an upgraded software system, very quickly and early identify any issues within your system and wherever those issues may be. And so the ratio is a subjectively very calming mushroom. You know, it's very good to take if you're overwhelmed and overstressed, which, you know, maybe LA traffic, maybe everyday life, being a parent, being an entrepreneur, um, being a podcaster, biker, we all deal with stress on a daily basis. And so, from a stress point of view, calming that nervous system down, supporting that immune system as well um, to fight any sort of niggles that we may have internally and identify those quickly before they, you know, I guess, cannibalize into something much more serious or sinister. Ratios are an amazing mushroom for that.
1: And also, based on my subjective experience, quite difficult to grow on your
0: own. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention the extraction process. So, you know, still on stage one with you, but that's... (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I I
1: used to go back... in the God, this is going back 20 years, man. I used to go to Chinatown here in LA and they're really fascinating. I always loved going in those herb shops in Chinatown. In San Francisco, even when I was a kid, we used to go there, but they have these giant... You know, it looks like... Kind of like a medical lab almost. These giant bottles with huge uh, uh, ginseng roots yeah. that are suspended in some liquid formaldehyde, kind of you know looking <laughs> thing like a brain in formaldehyde sort of. And then they have these massive jars and just the overwhelming smell of all these herbs and things like that. And so I used to buy these sliced reishi mushrooms. They kind of look like brown bacon. Mm. And then I remember trying to eat them. <laughs> like you can't eat them. They're uh, they're like wood, you know. A lot of like very firm cellulose. And so then I would uh, detox to them in a, in a what do you call it? De- What's the word? Decoct? Decoct? Decoct is when you get your penis removed. Um, <laughs> de- I would I would boil them uh, and then make this tea and reishi tea made like that. tastes like shit. I mean, it's like it's really, bad- really gross. Unlike chaga tea, which is amazing. But uh, reishi is one of those ones that is just ubiquitous in, in the herbal system of Chinese medicine. I mean, it is probably the one you're going to find most commonly. And then when I finally figured out the extracts, um, I do find that one to be really calming and relaxing. It's not one that you would get energy from. It's one that just sort of like turns down your nervous system.
0: Exactly. So typically, you know, maybe more an evening thing or an afternoon thing. But of course, if you wake up overwhelmed or you've got to something stressful on and you need to feel calm and centered, then that can be a good one. You know, sort of turning down the volume, whereas cordyceps is turning up the volume. So they're, they're going in different directions. Got it. Okay. And then what about, um, let's talk
1: about cordyceps.
0: Cordyceps, the, uh, I think with cordyceps, we've saved a lot of marriages. Um, testimonially you know, anecdotally, in terms of just that stamina that you get, that vitality that you get with, uh, with the cordyceps mushroom, known as the Tibetan Viagra, Oh, are you serious? I didn't know about this part. I've been wasting it on working out. Jesus. What a... You're definitely getting that level of energy um, that you may you know, require stamina, vitality. And it can be a good substitute for caffeine or coffee or if you really sort of want to take off, add it to your coffee. Um, but it's a great piece where you're not getting that peak and trough of energy flow more of four to six hour buzz or flow, um, without sort of that adrenal fatigue attached to it, which we can sometimes be succumbed to with coffee because we can, you know, have another coffee after lunch or it's too late in the day and then that interrupts with our sleep. And so it's really, I guess, with that, you know, the uh, the adaptogen, you know, of the cordyceps is that it can turn down the volume itself if your environment is turned down. So they're very smart in that sense that, you know, if you have good health hygiene and bed hygiene and sleep hygiene, that and the cordyceps won't keep you up at night, which is, which is very smart and a great thing. But the most important aspect is that it increases ATP production. So adeno triphosphate helps stimulate mitochondrial you know, regeneration. Um, and it's amazing at cellular repair as well. So from an anti-aging strategy, um, you know, it helps, I guess, penetrate the DNA or RNA of an infecting virus or an infecting bacteria and stops it from replicating
1: And what about the different strains of cordyceps? I know there's been a lot of buzz about the ones that work and don't work. And as it was made popular, I guess, in the Chinese medicine system, Mm -hmm. or maybe even in Tibet, was the cordyceps that grow on the back of a worm or something like that. And they're very revered and quite expensive if you want to get that strain of an Extract because they have to be hand collected by monks, and, you know, <laughs> up to twenty thousand feet up in the in the um, Himalayas and whatnot. But what's what's kind of the the background on on cordyceps in terms of that strain and the other ones now that are available? And yeah. are some of the strains relatively useless, as I understand the it?
0: Sinensis and Militaris are the two sort of main ones, but it's fascinating. You know, we're finding new strains of cordyceps every couple of weeks. You know. Um, it's finding approximately you know, 700 new strain, different strains of mushroom a year that have been unidentified. And so there's, we're really only on the iceberg of the fungi kingdom, as we mentioned before. And so with Cordyceps, there's Sinensis and Militaris are so the two well-known mushrooms that are in the mainstream as a product. Both are, are reasonably good and fairly similar in what they do in terms of increased ATP, increased oxygen uptake, increased stamina, increased vitality. Again, it also goes back to the extraction process and, the, the modality in which you're consuming it and how it was grown. Um, so, both are, are good to take, but the cordyceps as a base is always growing in its natural environment by, you know, I guess impregnating itself into a host, making it attractive enough to consume by a host, and then uh, overtaking the host's body over time to then, you know, release its spores popping out of its head or out of its body. And so, it's not very vegan friendly in many ways, the cordyceps, when it's grown in its wild environment. When we grow it uh, and many other farms grow it in their sort of, I guess, commercial environment, then we're growing it off of rice or other substrates. Can you grow that one off coffee too? We haven't coffee done grounds? that one off coffee. No. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. So the other the ones that aren't coming off the head of a dead worm are still good for you. <laughs> They're still good for you. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I was in Pennsylvania um, recently with one of the guys from Fantastic Fungi, William. Um, and yeah, we went cordyceps foraging, and we were out there for four hours, and we found one little pinprick um, in a in a spot that he sort of knew that uh, has many cordyceps. So wild harvesting, you can understand the value because it's like finding a needle in a haystack. You know, you yeah. could have walked over it in, in two seconds, but we d- dug it out, and it, again, it was attached to a host to a caterpillar. Oh,
1: really? And, yeah. So you did find one of yeah, those. Yeah, Damn. Yeah. yeah, I've heard that if you if you want those, I forget what it. You know, it's like. a kilo or something crazy. Like if you are able to source scarcity has value. yeah. Yeah. Then what about one of my favorites and one that I've been using as a tea? Just, I go on Amazon and I buy chunks of it and that's chaga because I don't live in an area where there's birch trees that I can go collect my own. But I, I love, um, I love just making a big crock pot of chaga I'll just buy five pounds of it off eBay and it lasts me a couple of years. I put yeah. you know a handful of chunks in a crock pot with some spring water, boil it for like two days, kind of like making a bone broth. And then I'll use that really kind of um, dense uh, tea as a base for coffee and different elixirs mm-hmm. and just keep it in the refrigerator. It lasts forever too. And it's one of the mushrooms that actually tastes really good as a water extract. Yeah, But I also realize I'm missing the fat-soluble... Uh, qualities of it because I'm not then doing an alcohol extract and I've known some friends that will get the water soluble um, parts of it out, boiling it. Then they'll take those chunks and put it in alcohol and after some time they get the rest of it out. Mm. Or you can just take you know a product like yours and it's all done for you. But I love the taste of chaga and I love combining it with other things and um also in chinese medicine it's always the one maybe like second to reishi that's so highly revered mm. and not only in chinese medicine but in russia too where it's very prevalent and used for anti cancer Protocols and all this. So, give me the breakdown on yeah. on chaga that I'm such a huge fan of.
0: Well, did you? I guess when you were having that chaga tea, what did you notice from you know a subjective point of view yourself? Well, one thing
1: that's great about making the chaga tea is if you use it as a coffee base, it makes your coffee very alkaline and not acidic. So, if you're someone that sort of struggles with you know having heartburn and things like that from having acidic drinks or foods, that's mm-hmm. one thing for sure. Um, so, it's just kind of a taste thing, and also just knowing the properties that support your immune system and also the melanin content and the vitamin D2. So taking large doses of chaga is like an internal sunscreen, sort of like yeah. astaxanthin. Yeah. And I'm not really prone to getting sunburned anyway, but I think between taking astaxanthin and a lot of chaga tea, I mean I can pretty much go out in the sun as long as I want. I don't get burned. Yeah. Unless I'm like on the beach in Rio near the equator which I learned the hard way because <laughs> so I was like I don't get sunburn bro well yeah if you're if you're really close to the equator at a certain time of year come no to Australia you're... it'll
0: test you as well the yeah it's pretty right, high right. in Australia
1: but so so it was it was more of that like wow I wonder if this is true let me test it I'm like holy shit I'm very resilient to sun when I'm doing a lot of chaga tea
0: yeah what we notice and what we get a lot of testimonials from is your eyes just really light up and become bright It's almost like a veil has lift, been lifted off of your eyes and they just you look in the mirror you're sort of like what's just happened that's sort of you get that three four days after having chaga extract you know you're really it's one of those ones you, again you see those experience those noticeable differences really quickly in terms of glow of skin and the, the piercing of your eyes and the veil being lifted off of them which is um quite phenomenal but from a, I guess a, a medicinal point of view you've got the botulin like you said you've got the melanin so it's sort of an internal um, restoration of the pineal gland as well because we know Ooh. the the, ma- the melanin is very important for the pineal gland and detoxifying the pineal gland melanin is, melatonin is very important for that and so there's definitely an aspect there um, in terms of that and that's sort of also what you're getting with the lion's mane which we'll touch on in a minute is attached to that pineal gland and that activation and how we can detoxify that um, through the use of lion's mane and through the use of other mushrooms but with the chaga mushroom it's you know, a full spectrum of antioxidants, you know, one of the highest, most antioxidant properties, foods out there in the world. Again, and going back to the story of it, well, it's grown in negative 30 to 40 degree temperatures, uh, Celsius that is. You know, it's grown on birch trees, which is an amazing tree by itself. You know, birch bark, birch sap, you know, xylitol comes from birch. It's it's an amazing uh, tree which has amazing medicinal compounds on its own. And so you pair that with the mushroom chaga, you pair it with a tough climate and you pair it with a long period of time of which it grows, then it sort of it makes sense as to why it's so powerful. I guess the main question there is really around the sustainable sourcing and harvesting of this mushroom because, again, um, you know, it only grows two birch trees in every 10,000 10, will have chaga attached to it or will grow chaga. So it's wow, extremely really? rare. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so I guess that's why we'll be a late coming to the party of the, the chaga party uh, in terms of finding those sourcing, those very sustainable uh, partners and foragers um, that we can trust because I'm sure this mushroom is going to become very popular as it already is, um, but it's where do we source it from and is it sustainable or are we going to over-harvest it in five years' time and there's no chaga around. And of course, attached to climate change, um, heating up of different temperatures uh, makes it hard because we're losing a lot of birch forest.
1: And I've heard something about the need to, if you're going to harvest chaga, leaving aside just environmental impact and the scarcity of the birch trees that have these fungal growths on them, which which if you're listening, if you can imagine kind of like a birch tree has a white sort of bark surface, kind of powder coated looking mm-hmm. almost, right? And then when there's a chaga on it, it looks like a big wart or like a cancerous <laughs> tumor basically, right? Um, but that some say that if you harvest a chaga wart, for lack of a better term, off of a um, off of a birch tree. If it's not been there twenty years or something, that it's it's not that good. Like the longer they're growing on a tree, the more mm. time they have to bioaccumulate the nutrients that we're wanting to get in our body by extracting it. Do you know anything about how you know, like the age of a Absolutely. chaga?
0: Absolutely. We've been thinking about that ourselves in terms of if you've got aged barrel whiskey. You'd have aged barrel chaga. You know that's. Ten years plus, fifteen years plus, twenty years plus, absolutely will have more compounds and more medicinal benefits than a younger chaga. And so,
1: with you guys wanting to source things locally, and now as we sit here right now, your your chaga product isn't available. You've got the other ones that we're have been talking about, and we'll continue to. But um, is that like the one thing you guys are like, ah, oh, well, they don't, we don't have birch trees in Australia, so we're going to have to get this <laughs> from Russia or? North Dakota or wherever the hell they come from?
0: Yeah, we have uh, two sor- a source in Canada, a source in the US and a forager in Lithuania. Um, they're sort of our three um, foragers that we work uh, closely with. So we try to work direct with these foragers and understand that whole story behind uh, that sustainable harvesting. Uh, but we do have a, a, a facility being, I guess, established at the moment in America, in Wisconsin. And so that's where we're doing all of our production um, going forward. And that's where the chaga gets processed. Australia, yeah, much too dry for birch trees. Um, yeah. <laughs> and with the chaga,
1: obviously, like all the mushrooms, it's important that you do the dual extract because, like, when I just make the tea, I'm missing out on a certain percentage of the medicinal value.
0: It's better than doing nothing, of course. Right. Um, but absolutely, if you really want to go full power into fifth gear, and, and again, like, you'll see that piercing of your eyes, you'll see that glow of your skin within three, four days. Um, And you just feel amazing uh, with the chaga mushroom.
1: And then what about uh, shiitake mushrooms, which you guys have as a medicinal extract. And I've always thought of shiitake mushrooms as just being a culinary mushroom and was unaware that they had value in terms of, you know, in in kind of the herbal medicine system.
0: Very underrated mushroom, the shiitake mushroom. It's It's not as sexy as the lion's mane or the cordyceps or the reishi, but... Um, you know, definitely a daily staple. We we'll see it as a a multivitamin in terms of your mushroom stack, um, in terms of the lentinan as a compound, in terms of the the ability to help produce and re- reduce uh, the elastase. So elastase is what you get from UV damage. You know, there's obviously collagen is a big word at the moment, and collagen products are very popular. The other one, when it comes to skin health, is the elasticity of your skin and the elastin within the skin. Which gets broken down by aging, gets broken down by photo aging as well. So it minimizes the elastase process, and this is really what causes the loss of elasticity in your skin. And so a huge part of photoaging. photo aging. So you know UV radiation protection shiitake is amazing, preventing photo aging. It's amazing, and for cardiovascular health, it's also amazing. Um, and of course, like a lot of other mushrooms, has the antimicrobial, antibacterial, and antiviral properties to it. So it's not as sexy as the other ones. People are very familiar with it because they see it in a dish. But if you can stack that in high concentration, um, it's great as an anti-aging protocol.
1: That's interesting thinking about it. I didn't. I didn't know the, um, the relevance in terms of skin elasticity and all of that. That's a really powerful in terms of like aesthetic beauty. That's a really powerful
0: combination then with the chaga. Because Absolutely. you're getting, yeah, interesting, hmm. and it's the, got the, got the vitamin D two, D three, and D four. So oh, it it's does full, as well. Full spectrum vitamin wow, D. Wow, that's
2: crazy, dude. All right, it's I'm going to get on that because <laughs> if you
0: look at my bottles of the Life
1: Cycle Mushrooms, you'll you'll see that the um, the one that has the most in it is always the Shiitake. Because I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't really know what it does, so I'm not like the other like the Lions Man, especially in the Cordyceps. I go through and like freaking three days
0: the other one with the shiitake just to add on that is hair skin and nails in terms of the strength of your nails you'll notice very quickly in terms of how stronger and how faster they will grow
1: oh your weird nails, and so
0: you're sort of going into wolverine mode pretty quickly
1: <laughs> really <laughs> so it's must it must have something to do with um collagen synthesis or something huh
0: yeah well it's a, i mean they're not so much combining or containing amino acids as much as the other mushrooms, they're containing amino with an I, so I-M-O-N amino acids, which are a second metabolite to amino acids or a secondary type of amino acid. And so, this is where really seeing the magic of those proteins that are responsible for hair, skin, and nails.
1: Oh, trip out! Wow, God, I always just when I think I, I know some shit, I sit <laughs> down with someone like you and I'm I get my mind blown again, I learn more. It's so fascinating. <laughs> All right, then what about, um, what one didn't we
0: cover? Oh, the turkey tail. Another very underrated mushroom. um, And I think it's really, it's very, found very commonly in the forest. If you go to the forest and you know what you're looking for, you'll find some turkey tail mushroom and there's different strains and varieties. We source out turkey tail mushroom from the Blue Mountains in Australia, which is a sort of a pristine area again, just a a utopian forest and um, amazing mountains there. But this mushroom on the research shows PSK and PSP, two compounds, polysaccharide cressetin, polysaccharide peptide, both amazing compounds. PSP has been shown to improve gut health through you know, being a prebiotic. There was a study done out of Harvard University a couple of years ago just to show that it activates microphages, activates immune cells, activates good gut bacteria. And so we know that gut brain access really, really to do with mental health, to do with your levels of anxiety. Um, and, and your general mood every day is really regulated more by your gut than it is by your brain. And so that's very important. So as a as a prebiotic is, is very strong, very potent. What we've seen in uh, with the PSK, which is the other compound in Japan now, it's just been approved and is used in conjunction with uh, cancer treatment a lot now. So this compound is PSK polysaccharide crest and has a great sort of Properties to help stimulate the immune system post chemotherapy, and so there's been a study also done in North America that was a rather large study, two million dollar study on breast cancer, and it showed when having turkey tail in conjunction with chemo that um, you know the patient fared better in terms of their ability to bounce back from uh, and their immune system to respond and reactivate after the chemo. So that was exciting. It's new, early, and novel research, but it's definitely on the right track. The other thing, I guess, from I mean, from our team, you know, of ten lab staff, our favorite is really the turkey tail mushroom because it's just that mood stabilizer makes you feel really good. And if you have any digestive issues, Crohn's, you know, uh, allergies, allergens, any digestive feeling, that's really where we've seen great results.
1: Really? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Again, that would probably be the the bottle that stays the second most full out of all of them. But I. Digestive issues have been historically something that I've been working on quite a bit. I don't know that I've cracked the code there. But with the prebiotic effect, is the prebiotic still valid in an extract when there's not the actual, you know, um, like when I think of prebiotic, it's like taking, you know, cornstarch or acacia, whatever, powder, like Mm -hmm. that type of shit that is just non-soluble Fiber, right, that your gut bacteria likes to eat to, to feed them mm. being prebiotic, as I understand it. Um, is that effect still present when you have a liquid extract?
0: Well, that's what the, the research showed with the, uh, the Harvard study in terms of the turkey tail mushroom, that PSP compound, as long as that's present, um, is what is the stim- gives the stimulatory effect to that good gut bacteria. Oh, cool. Because we do know also, I guess, you know, you've got those debates around, um, you know, are these needing to be refrigerated? Are they not being refrigerated prebiotics and probiotics and how are, they, how are they sort of being absorbed and are they getting absorbed while they get to the gut? I guess going back to that conversation of turkey tail is tackling gut issues so it's it's going to the gut whereas when we're taking these extracts they're going sublingually a lot of the time being absorbed um, and bypassing the, the stomach.
1: Oh yeah, interesting. Okay, wow, cool. And then what about, uh, what one haven't we covered? Uh, oh yeah, lion's mane.
0: The, the, the favorite one is definitely a, a favorite one and because I think also, you again, you're getting very immediate benefits and noticeable benefits. And, and one of the things that first came to us, again, that wasn't really in the literature. Um, and again, this is sort of why we go back to the, the belief on, you know, the mycelium having a lot of potency in it. If extracted well, if grown well, if, you know, you're removing all the grains from the process. You know, we're getting a lot of people reporting back on that dreaming and that REM sleep, which is not in the literature really anywhere around the lion's mane mushroom and its benefits to do that. And so it's a great stack. The lion's mane and the and the turkey tail because you're combating REM sleep with gut health. So you're getting that gut brain access and you're optimizing that. But for the lion's mane, we know it's really a, a remyelinator of nerve cells, a regenerator. It's helping with neurogenesis. It's slowing down and decreasing neuroinflammation, which is something we're all suffering from from an early age as we sort of get older. Um, but if you're you know in a neurological have a neurological condition, um, Alzheimer's multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, these kind of neurological conditions, can lion's mane help prevent that in some way? That's going to be very interesting research to see come out. Uh, But from a subjective point of view, this mushroom is very popular for optimizing brain health and just feeling better, just having the veil lifted off of you, having that focus, that clarity, that ability to consolidate memory overnight through the REM sleep. So then the next day, if you're studying, you're able to consolidate the work you've been doing. So, it's another sort of funny one where it has dual use. It dual use in the fact that you can take it in the morning and you can have that uplift in focus, memory, and mental clarity. You can take it in the evening and get that increased REM sleep. And so, you know, it's a, a sort of dual purpose mushroom. And I guess from our point of view, taking one or two mil in the morning and one or two mil at night um, seems to get amazing results. And the testimonials have been amazing. And, you know, we just sort of realized the other day that. Um, we're in Dave's book, Superhumans, for Lifecycle Lion's linesman and him putting it as an essential hack for sleeping and improving REM sleep. So, again, we're just sort of, I guess, this team of scientists have done an amazing job. Tom, our chief scientist there, has done an amazing job at just trying to produce something that's high quality.
1: We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. I love this company, and what I love most about them is their instant coffee, because 64% of us Americans drink coffee daily, but 100% of us should be drinking the Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee, because it's more than just coffee. It's got lion's mane, which you may know is really good for your brain. It's my favorite medicinal mushroom. It helps with focus, productivity, and creativity. In fact, Buddhist monks for a very long time have been using lion's mane to uh, help their focus during meditation. It also includes chaga, the king of mushrooms. But what is really cool about it is it's 100% organic. It's got no sugar, no carbs, no calories. It's it's a uh, vegan, paleo, sugar-free, dairy-free, although mine's not dairy-free because I put butter or ghee in it. But the rad thing about it is that it has about half the caffeine of regular coffee, which is, you know, fine because you can just put two packets of it in your coffee if you want to go all out, but the mushroom coffee is way easier on my gut. It doesn't have that like jittery crash thing going on, probably because it doesn't have any mold. (laughs) It's really high quality coffee. But the very best thing about this is that they are easy to use packets you can take anywhere. So I put them in my suitcase and my backpack every time I travel, literally every single time. Uh, I've got the four sigmatic little, uh, you know, travel packets of coffee with me. It dissolves very easily in cold or hot water. So I'll use this on the airplane. I take it on road trips. Anytime I need a little boost of brain power or energy, I use the four sigmatic mushroom coffee. It's freaking amazing. I'm not even joking. Uh, I have a special offer for you, of course, as a, a a coveted audience member you can get 15% off your Four Sigmatic order go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story enter the code Luke story at checkout that's L-U-K-E-S-T-O-R-E-Y and the website again is foursigmatic.com slash Luke story spelled out that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story save 15% off Try this coffee out. You're going to freaking love it, guaranteed. And now, back to the interview. With the lion's mane, this is, I think, the one I'm most interested in right now for a couple mm-hmm. of different reasons. One is improving sleep, because that's just <laughs> that's one of my main goals in my whole life. And <laughs> um, sometimes my sleep's great, sometimes not. The past week, yeah. like I was telling you, I'm like, what did I do? I don't know. I like, everything's fine. I'm not, you know, there's no mm. known disturbances or major changes in my life or diet or anything And my sleep. has just been shit. So um, I use the aura Ring to quantify what works, what doesn't. I'm always trying to fine tune the sleep. Mm. And it's interesting because when I've done a big dose of your lion's mane on its own and not done any other funny business with other sleep, yeah. you know, herbs yeah. and things like that, then my REM sleep score goes up. Yeah. But if I do the lion's mane and I do uh, CBD, I'll do my own yeah. CBD, yeah. then my REM sleep doesn't improve. It's mm. weird. It's for me in my brain, CBD cancels out the benefits of the REM inducing lion's mane. Mm. As far as I can tell based on yeah. my score, there's other factors of like, you know, I looked at my phone too late or Went out to dinner and saw headlights driving home, and I mean there's so many things you don't really know for sure. Mm. You'd have to really like do A B testing for a couple months to really fine tune that. But if I do nothing else and I'm following all my other sleep hygiene, absolutely I'll get longer REM sleep. Yeah. You know, hour and a half, two hours, something like that, which is more than I would normally get. Yeah. Another thing I've noticed, just for people listening, is I used to do, I'm out right now, so I'm not been, but my buddy Brian who's been on the show has a company called Medicine Box and they make like cannabis oil that has THC that you would get from a dispensary, that kind of thing. But he's really really high quality, super beyond organic, and he Mm. infuses other herbs into it and makes these really nice tinctures. So I don't take that recreationally, but I was messing with that with sleep and I would get way better deep sleep. But crappy REM sleep, mm. so it's interesting, like the cannabis and the c b d stuff is really tricky with sleep it's it's yeah. it's very delicate at least in my brain, so um I'm curious about doing more self testing like no funny business with any other stuff, and just like tracking my REM sleep from doing the um yeah the lion's mane. another thing I've done, which has been working pretty well, is there's this peptide called um d s i p sleep inducing Sleep Inducing DS Sleep Sleep D Fuck I forget the acronym Anyway DSIP Yeah uh, And it's a peptide you inject Subcutaneously okay. For deep sleep And you do it a couple hours Before you go to sleep And My sleep will go from You know Maybe an hour To an hour and a half Or even two To two and a half hours So it's, it's a marked improvement What's interesting about that Is that if I do The lion's mane And that peptide Then I get really high scores of both. So it doesn't have the interference that like a CBD product does. So interesting stuff, you know, and I'm sure it's different for every single brain on the planet because we all have unique biochemistry, but I'm always trying to find the supplements that I can use that bring both of those scores continually higher and then just like stick
0: with what's working. Absolutely. That synergistic benefit and that's sort of a good segue into all of these Extracts having kakadu plum in it, which is a sort of a native indigenous bush fruit in Australia, quite rare, uh, which grows up in Arnhem Land. And sort of similar to chaga in terms of growing in a very tough climate um, over a period of time. Um, these trees that establish themselves in you know, very remote desert-like parts of, uh, of Arnhem Land in northern Australia, but this is the a, a highest understood fruit with kakadu plum in terms of vitamin C, in the world and so that potency of that vitamin C and again taking it in its whole body form not in its supplement form and and finding you know getting it in an isolate vitamin C powder is very different to finding it in a full spectrum uh, fruit and extracting it that way. And so we find that was sort of when we were sort of doing our R&D and understanding what synergistic benefits we could find to go with these mushrooms and complement them. The uh, vitamin C definitely helps amplify the aspect of the mushroom and, and high dosing Vitamin C is very important as well as a, as a strategic tool. With that, uh,
1: what's it called? Kakadu? Kakadu plum. Yeah. Kakadu plum? Kakadu plum. Uh, weren't you telling me that it, the comparison of the amount of vitamin C it has compared to an orange or camu camu? Isn't it like ridiculously it's, high it's in It's ridiculous. C? It's sort of like around
0: 90 to 100 times an orange in terms of a serve. Holy shit. And so it's, um, again, just when you can put that in an extract form, this is the, the beauty of... You know, again, like going back to yeah, you, you, when you had fresh mushrooms that you were growing in a town and a city, then you weren't able to scale those. But now we're able to, I guess, share that kakadu plum with Australia, with other countries in terms of getting you know a small serving size, but getting a, a huge impact from that. So it makes it super easy and simple. But yeah, the kakadu plum is a is a fascinating mushroom. Yeah, uh, I've never heard fruit. of it
1: prior prior to you guys. Yeah. I wonder if that has anything to do with the... The shiitake skin benefits because vitamin C is a catalyst for collagen synthesis, which makes your skin, hair, nails, etc. I wonder if there's any correlation there.
0: I think there is because, uh, you know, we've got very close connections uh, to community, and so we're very lucky to be able to source vitamin C through the Kakadu plum. Um, but Kakadu plum is becoming extremely popular uh, with skincare.
1: Oh, it is, yeah, oh, absolutely
0: booming in. And funny enough, I think if you look at skincare, if you look at Korean as a leader in that space, um, just through investment and how much it's a priority to them. Um, shiitake mushroom, you'll see in a lot of ingredients in Shiitake skincare. And um, to- and topical shi- stuff too. Yep. Oh, yep.
1: interesting. Yep. So not just ingesting
0: it. No, exactly. So the Shiitake is very popular there and the Kakadu plum is becoming very popular there as well.
1: Okay, going back to Lion's Mane.
0: Yeah. So there's the REM sleep part of it. Then there's
1: the thing that's become now quite... You know, famous thanks to Paul. St- is it Stamets or Stamets? Stamets going on uh, Joe Rogan a mm, couple times. Yeah. You know, and that show just gets so many eyes and ears yeah. on it. And talking about the famous Paul Stamets stack, which is the microdosing mm. of psychedelic mushrooms. Uh, you know, uh, hundred milligrams to two hundred milligrams, and not not a discernible psychoactive effect where you're tripping on mushrooms, yeah. but more of a nootropic thing. And then he figured out. The, the certain amount of niacin, and also adding lion's mane to that stack um, adds to the the potency and the general effect for brain health, and just you know making you alert and creative and all that. And that's a stack that I personally love. I do it oh, probably three days a week, four days a week. Take a couple of days off. I don't. Mm-hmm. There's like a very specific schedule you're supposed to follow with it, which I always forget. So I just <laughs> do it randomly and make sure yeah. I don't do it every day because you build up a tolerance to the psilocybin, and then it's pointless. Uh, but do you know anything about the relationship between the psychedelic mushrooms in a microdose and the lion's mane? Because I found that um, taking the f- particular formula that I was able to procure from an unnamed source, mm. uh, which is this amazing tincture that has all of these medicinal mushrooms and niacin and the psilocybin. But I'll do that and then I'll take like a mega, mega doses of your lion's mane and... I'm on fire, man. Like my brain is just, I'm so alert and um, in such a great mood and just extremely focused and creative. My brain just loves that combo. So what do you know about the psychedelic end of mushrooms as it pertains to mixing it with lion's mane?
0: Yeah, I mean, they both, and as Paul mentioned on that show with Joe Rogan, like the closest thing you can get to that psychedelic mushroom or microdosing is the lion's mane. And so if you compound them together, they both act they both activate you know, those nervous system and neurogenesis within the brain and unlock the doors allowing each part of the brain to talk to each other. And so on, I guess, a, a level right now, Lion's Mane does that on its own. Um, psilocybin, the compound within the magic mushroom, does that as well for a more profound effect. And so you, know, you combine those together, you combine those together with the niacin, which is sort of the ability to get into those deep, uh, finer, more intricate nerve endings allows for a deeper connection. And so those three are sort of, as Paul talks about, is um, you know, allowing that focus and you're seeing that as well with the, the linesman and the, and the psilocybin. And so well, why is that occurring? Because of that effect of unlocking different parts of your brain, allowing them to talk to each other. So you're on fire because you're activating more of your brain rather than running dormant at 15 to 25% of our capacity, which is pretty much what we're doing most days.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I'm a big fan and I'm looking forward to more research and more product development Mm -hmm. in this area because I think that it just, I don't know, can help so many people who have become dim-witted due to the the tainted food supply and the water supply and pollution and EMFs and all these things that are fighting against us and the inoculations we get when we're babies and just the human body and specifically the brain is just completely getting its ass kicked by the time you're a (laughs) 49-year-old guy like me. And then self-induced brain abuse too (laughs) through partying and whatnot. Yeah, I use the term partying loosely. At a certain point for many of us, it's not a party anymore, but a necessity that's also very self-destructive. But (laughs) point being is our brains are really getting hammered so badly. So I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to more developments in the mushroom world, whether they be psychedelic, lion's mane, and combinations and new sort of formula that can
0: help upgrade the brain. And also something that doesn't have a lag effect, or you know, you're stealing from tomorrow to pay for today. In terms of so a lot of nootropics or other you know pharmacological um, products out there that may be doing that, and so we need to be finding natural solutions that aren't doing that and have a you know longevity to them. Which in many ways we don't necessarily know until we go down that journey because you don't know what you're going to find out. But I guess going back to what makes sense in terms of these mushrooms, in terms of lion's mane mushroom as well, we know that. It's having an amazing benefit now and it's available now and it's something that you know, personally I believe everyone over fifty, over forty five should be on Lion's main. I think actually everyone should be on Lion's main as a as a base. Um and on across a lot of these mushrooms. I mean
1: imagine just like for kids too, dude. Like when a when a kid's brain is developing, you know, and that neurogenesis, uh, meaning the 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 birthing of new neurons in the brain is happening on its own. Imagine, you know, I'm not <laughs> recommending as a parent that you do this, like check with your health <laughs> provider. You know, I don't know. I'm just speculating. You're a completely armchair
0: yeah.
1: uh, scientist, but not the psychedelic mushrooms, I would say. But with the lion's mane, imagine when like a kid's brain is malleable and growing and taking in new information and they're walking around in this beautiful theta state of creativity and imagination. If you're assisting that with something like lion's mane, it could be really profound. Absolutely,
0: and this is sort of a conversation around evolution and how do we optimize health. And this is what you're, the, you know, the master of in terms of biohacking. How do we do that? And how do we How do we zoom out to go? Hang on, what's happened over the last one hundred thousand years, ten thousand years, and and in which direction are we heading in?
1: Well, I think that's what's so fascinating in that fantastic fungi film is the hypothesis of the. The, what's you know what they call it the psychedelic ape or whatever right that yeah that
0: stone ape hypothesis yeah the that stone
1: one. that's what it is that's the that. stone ape hypothesis you know um Terrence and Dennis McKenna and this whole thing I've, oh, I've Fred, you know yeah. who who knows if that's actually true we I don't know if there's you know conclusive evidence to support that mm. per se but I know um, not so much on the on the lion's mane tip but I was talking to someone last night just around the very first time that I very unintentionally took LSD which is just, I think on my 17th birthday and just, I just wanted to get fucked up, you know? I took a hit of acid in home ec class, which is probably not the ideal (laughs) set and setting uh, or it came on in home ec, you know? So here's how you put the Tupperware in your kitchen and it's all kind of (laughs) melting in my hands. But uh, then, you know, went to a party afterward and I remember just standing on the porch. This is in Colorado and I was also drinking and, you know, being just a dumbass teenager also. But I remember looking up at the sky and I just went, oh my God, I'm so insignificant. And it was just the most hilarious thing I'd ever, you know, the realization of just like how meaningless my dumb little problems and micro dramas and all of these things were and how I was just beyond smaller than a grain of sand in the, in the great scheme of things. And then, you know, whatever passed out came to and have never been the same just from that one moment. Yeah. You know, and I think that's something that's so interesting about, the world of psychedelics and specifically as they pertain to mushrooms. Mm. And that was not even trying, you know, that was an accidental awakening that stuck with me forever and didn't necessarily at that point change the trajectory of my life, but it definitely changed my orientation to reality moving forward. And there was no putting the genie back in the bottle in terms of Mm. how I perceive reality. And some years later, I did in fact have which I didn't realize at the time, but quite a profound spiritual experience by taking copious amounts of mushrooms, again, just trying to party and have fun and had kind of a, oh shit, <laughs> yeah. I need to change my life moment, you know? And so I think um, the way that these this kingdom interacts with our brain is really fascinating. And I'm excited about what research and development has to offer. That said, are you guys poised at all in terms of your R&D into moving into the psychedelic mushroom space as uh, you know things become the legality of it becomes more loose as we're seeing now in you know Oakland and Denver and different mm-hmm. places there's churches or uh, clinical applications of using psilocybin that are becoming more acceptable.
0: Everyone sort of yes, awakening to the mushroom church, which is sort of this in, impending uh, you know legalization that will take place at some point. But for us, you know, from a, a company point of view, we uh, have that vertical integration. We understand intimately how to grow mushrooms, how to extract to the highest quality, and so uh, it definitely makes sense to be involved in that space at some point. We have conversations at the moment with universities and colleges in both Europe and in the US at the moment, so they're ongoing. And so looking at that research, and it's just such a wide range of applications, you know, in terms of PTSD, in terms of depression, in terms of mental health, in terms of human optimization, in terms of so many areas, in terms of healing, in terms of perspective and insight. um, It's very exciting for humanity as a whole, the whole area, um, and as it develops. And I guess it sort of got shut down in the 60s and 70s, and we sort of, you know, I think, in some ways, put our own evol- evolution on pause um, from doing that, but again, we need to make sure we're doing it in the right set and setting in the right environment, and how that's done because, as you mentioned, you know you sort of just had a a random trip, but it changed your perspective, and so what happens if it's used intentionally and medicinally in the right way in the right setting, then what can we gain from that?
1: yeah, in that film they're showing uh, psychiatrists using. You know psilocybin journeys as a means by which to help people with depression and PTSD mm-hmm. and things like this, and it was so interesting to watch that because they they lay back on the you know kind of the classical psychiatrist couch, put on an eye mask, and they're you know kind of holding the, their hand and guiding them through and waiting yeah. for the dose to kick. And I'm like, God, aside from ayahuasca, I've mm-hmm. never done a psychedelic with that much <laughs> intention or a guide and sort of a caring safe environment Mm -hmm. like that. And I thought, wow, that would be so interesting. I've not taken like recreational psychedelics at all in a long, long long time. I thought, wow, it would be really interesting to do a nice hero's dose of psilocybin intentionally at some point in nature and in the right setting, whether it be ceremonial or get led by a guide of some sorts, you know, Mm. I bet there's so much insight and healing uh, potential there to be explored.
0: I think so. And I mean, it's just sort of those fundamental reports that you hear around ego dissolution, perspective, and insight. And I think, you know, ego dissolution is a very important one at the moment for humanity and where we're up to and the, the capitalistic nature in which we are uh, signed up to. And very much, you know, we're, we're always reporting on GDP, we're reporting on numbers that really don't matter so much in the scheme of things now. So we need to change those metrics. So we need to change our point of view and our perspective. And, and how can we do that? And maybe those psychedelics can play a role in that I, I think so and i think uh the sacred use in which they've been used for thousands of years it's very important that that's i guess honored and respected and not these things treated as a necessarily always a party drug to be taken um you know at coachella or at burning man they have those elements <laughs> yeah. to them but um yeah. we're not really getting the full potential out of them yeah absolutely uh you know i left out the 50
1: other times I did psychedelics (laughs) and got nothing out of it except maybe a good time followed by, you know, a harsh come down in the parking lot of a Grateful Dead show or something. (laughs) Um, But moving into culturally and economically speaking um, and kind of, I guess, we'll segue out of the medicinal benefits of Mm -hmm. mushrooms. And I'm also very interested in something that you guys seem to be um, going into Um, And pioneering would be ecological and environmental uses of mushrooms. So let's talk about um, some of those things, ways to mitigate pollution, clean up oil spills, uh, alternatives for plastic, things like this. Like, give me where you think this is going, where we are right now, what. What are some of the potentials as your long term vision?
0: Yeah, I guess we've sort of just you know whiteboarded what are what are the big issues and not being too biased on mushrooms, where can mushrooms play a role and you know being you know wrapped up in the world of mushrooms and the kingdom is like well they can solve so many things and so what are high on the priority list and one that's not necessarily spoken about a lot uh, is antimicrobial resistance and resistance to antibiotics and the breeding of superbugs being an enormous issue for you know. I guess, a threat to to humanity in terms of getting viral infections and bacterial infections that spread and not able to be uh, stopped, almost like a wildfire. And we already know that over the next 10 years, the expectation of how many people will die from antimicrobial resistance, which is resistance to antibiotics, which is a life-saving drug uh, and is very essential for end-stage disease and, and cases where it's required not being able to be effective anymore because of the micro amounts that we're exposed to with antibiotics, which is coming through our honey, through fish, through chicken, through animal agriculture, but also through plants as well. There's a lot of antibiotics used in plant uh, crops and things like that. So again, our exposure to other toxins also now includes micro levels of antibiotics. And so what we've been working on for the last three years, really across bees, across fish, across a number of other animals, is working intimately with farmers, commercial operations, to replace the need for antibiotics or minimize the need for antibiotics because, again, what point do they serve? They serve as sort of an end point of how do we just control this disease. It's not a preventative point of view. So with one product that we have called Bee Immunity, which is for bees, um, we've been working with hives across Australia. We did a trial in Quebec, Canada where we were able to show that by using our mushroom and bush food extracts, so bush foods are the, the kakadu plum and other native ingredients we're able to show an increase in bee lifespan by 8.22%. And for a healthy beehive, bee population is very important. Colony health is very important because bees all play a very different role. They're all very much committed to the the health of the hive and they work very harmoniously and as a community. And so if you have a low population, that really build, lowers the resilience to hives. But also, other than that, bees are getting... You know, Destroyed by monoculture cropping, by pesticide use, and by disease. And so bees are up against it. We know bees are very important. And a lot of the time, you know, beekeepers are, you know, what do they have in their toolbox to use? The only real thing they have at the moment is antibiotics. And so we've seen great results there. We've seen great results in other animal uh, industries. And so that's exciting. And again, we only re- learned recently the amount of antibiotics used uh, in plants and crops there as well. So that's one of our key pillars of our of our business as a division is solving that one and and we're getting great results there. The bee
1: thing is huge because I, I think more and more people are becoming aware of this and I covered it in an episode I did. I uh, don't have the number in front of me, but we'll put it in the show notes uh, with Carly Stein, the CEO of Beekeepers Naturals, one of my, mm. well not one of, my absolute favorite bee product company. And a show sponsor, I unabashedly promote all the time because oh, I, I have like product. five jars yeah. of it in my kitchen. I eat it just about every day. It's kind of my some nighttime shots the other snack. Day. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like my nighttime snack. Like a, <laughs> a teaspoon of that honey really helps with my sleep.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, and then I do the propolis spray like yeah. right when I wake up, and I never get cold. It's amazing. But anyway, um, talking to her and learning a bit, a, a bit more about bees, and there was a documentary I think called "The Vanishing of the Bees," if I'm not mistaken. And I, I think many people don't realize like how much the human race is dependent upon bees. Like in other words, if bees just all drop dead today, we're gone. Yeah. Like our food supply is just gone, period. We're, we're over. Um, and I'm not someone that is necessarily into activism. And I think if human beings are meant to expire and not be on the planet anymore, if that's God's will, then let's go like the dinosaurs did fine. Yeah. But I don't want it to be at our hands, if possible. Exactly. We, have a I mean? we have yeah, a choice. Yeah, if there's a meteor and like humans are meant to be gone, okay, fine. You know, I'm sure there's many other planets with humanoids on them in the <laughs> you know ever expanding infinite universe. But uh, but the bee thing is really a concern yeah. uh, because of their integral role in pollination of our food supply, right? And yeah. so now we have you know 5g we have glyphosate and the food supply there's so many things that are like working against the bees so yeah i think that's a really cool thing that you guys are kind of catching on to is going at the root of the food supply which is the bees yeah
0: yeah absolutely i mean and it's funny how sort of things pan out in terms of well you know a lot of bees at especially in north america as well you know the hives are getting shipped to almond farms for almond pollination because beekeepers get a better price for almond pollination than they do for their honey but when they go to these almond crops they're very heavily sprayed and so you're losing a lot of bees uh, in that in that pace so it's sort of a, a very complicated cycle and it's just you know where can we impregnate mushrooms and mycelium and and this as a a hopeful substitute or resilience builder to their immune system which we've been at a Show um, that they, that can happen, so that's an amazing area. But across the animal agriculture, there is a, you know widespread use of antibiotics, and so it's something again going back to transparency with mushroom products. It's the same with our you know fruit and veg. It's the same with our uh, meat, chicken, fish, honey, whatever uh, people decide to eat. We need more transparency there because in that way uh, we're able to trust and we're able to know that we're we're not slowly killing ourselves um, through. Uh, having these short-term wins by, you know, overusing antibiotics and then causing super bugs, which then make antibiotics not available to be used. Terrifying. Zombie apocalypse <laughs> shit. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, it's just gnarly. <laughs> that's
1: gnarly. The one saving grace I think we have with that is ozone. Mm-hmm. You know, ozone trumps any, it kills all bacteria, fungus, etc. But it's also, there's not a lot of profit in the use of ozone. So it's not something that's Widely used, at least yeah. in the United States, yeah. um, medically, but that's always the thing I think about when it comes to the you know antibiotic resistance. It's like, well, nothing's resistant to ozone; like mm-hmm. it kills everything. So um, I love to use that. But anyway, uh, what about the future of like we we see so much in the hemp industry where there's potentials, or you can make a car out of hemp and mm. you know replace plastics and aluminum and things that are going to eventually end up back in our ecosystem as pollution and landfills what are some of the things being made from mushrooms now or that you see potentially could be made in terms of just the utilitarian use of this uh, substance
0: yeah i mean one great company uh, i think out of uh new york ecovative doing mushroom building blocks mushroom uh insulation in for household insulation um, and other aspects of replacing things like styrofoam which don't break down for hundreds of years which you know, a lot of food is transported in styrofoam boxes all around the place to supermarkets uh, and to grocery stores from farmers and from wholesalers and, and things like that. And so replacing styrofoam, replacing any of those uh, fossil fuel-based production you know, uh, ingredients which then become very hard to break down over a long period of time Mushrooms, again, can be a simple solution and I say simple very hesitantly because there's a lot of R&D required there and there's, again, going back to what you mentioned about the profit, the economics of it have to work out for people to want to make the change Um, and that's why it's important to sort of, again, go back to activism as well. It's you know being an activist every day with how you spend your dollars and what questions you ask the companies that you buy from and being aligned to those companies.
1: Oh, so then I I guess by that metric, I am an activist. (laughs)
0: Sorry. (laughs) I I really do my best to not support companies that don't do it right. Yeah, there almost needs to be a top 100 list of, you know, and it needs to be a very thorough um, audit process. And they do have some of those processes in place already. But I think, again, that's where sort of things are heading. So mushroom, building block, mushroom. Uh, biomaterials is what they're called and bioengineering. Uh, we you know, were contacted by Ralph Lauren recently about that because of being a, a biotech company and we've been playing around with mushroom leather as well. We just sort of haven't gone deeply into it because it's a it's a big journey and a long journey um, but that's something that fashion labels want now. They want to be able to source that unfortunately they're not able to right now so if anyone's out there interested in that space um, they should be innovating and there's a startup idea. But That's interesting. Yeah, one of the uh, the things we're also working on at the moment, yet to be released, is a mushroom burger, um, and so we've been, you know, again thinking of things in the world. Again, the amount of energy and inputs put into feeding ourselves, um, it's around finding solutions for that as well. And so we understand that, you know, that meat space is, uh, I guess, you know, very uh, unsustainable for the planet, and at the same time, laboratory based meats and using soy and using all these other ingredients. Um, are also very questionable and also <laughs> you think uh, a long way away from biohacking. And right. so we're sort of just going sideways. We're not going forward. Um, but we do have a, a mushroom burger coming out early next year, which is a, a patented burger, which has four ingredients, USD Organic, and we grow it in 11 days. Holy crap. Yeah. So it's, this it's, is uh, exciting, exciting because I
1: think on, you know, coming from the early days when I was a vegetarian, I did so because the only available meat, at the time that was at least I was aware of was like factory farm meat. And I wasn't going to be part of that for a number of different reasons, just in terms of cruelty and the environment and the impact of uh, negative impact on your health. But now we have kind of a blanket um, environmentalist point of view that says like all animal food production is bad for everyone and the planet. Mm. Many people ignoring the fact that regenerative agriculture, including plants and animals, can actually restore the planet and sequester CO two and all of this. And then, as you said, there's meat substitutes now. that are even worse for you probably than like factory farm meat. They're you know? inflammatory.
0: A lot of numbers. Yeah. And, and how are that? How is that being even produced? You know, we're knocking down forests to produce more soy.
1: Right. So <laughs> it's a you know it's a complex issue, is and one complex. that won't be solved in the right. last ten minutes of the Lifestylist Podcast mm. episode with you, but. I think that's really exciting. Um, as people move forward into understanding the um, the positive impact of regenerative farming and learning ways that we can scale that for mass food production, and not just for spoiled people like me that get to go to the farmers market and participate in that, but also in finding um, ways to produce food like you're talking about that is actually good for you, fast and economically viable, viable and scalable. Mm. So if you make a mushroom burger that doesn't taste like mushrooms, <laughs> that, that taste... Make a mushroom burger that tastes like bacon, I'm in. I'll well, that, eat it every day.
0: you I think you're going to like it. It's yeah? not overly shroomy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. You and wouldn't then, know that it's a mushroom ingredient. Oh, good. Because yeah. there are like the
1: like mushroom burgers that are the alternative to a, a meat patty and I find those to be... Yeah, it's
0: usually just a big portobello or something or big field mushroom and it's... Um... Challenging. Challenging. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And then what about...
1: The possibilities of environmental cleanup with mushrooms. I know there's a couple great TED Talks about this kind of thing where you can use uh, mushrooms to clean up oil spills and pesticides runoff that are ending up in the ocean and all kinds of stuff. What do you know about that? And where do you see the future of that application going? Yeah,
0: which is a great topic, just talking about pesticide runoff. Uh, We know the Mississippi River is just covered in glyphosate, you know, and uh, all of these main arteries and main waterways. In each of our countries is really washed away and filled with uh, a lot of glyphosate and a lot of pesticides. So it's a a bit of a disaster there. And so mushrooms, again, at their core are amazing at breaking down uh, compounds, both what we would perceive as harmful like hydrocarbons and using them as a food source. And so they're able to digest them and they're very intelligent in terms of adapting and creating new food sources for themselves as they're just natural recyclers. And so, for that reason, that's why they can be implemented in terms of breaking down oil spills in or contaminated or contaminated soil or contaminated waterways. In terms of the work that's been done there right now, there hasn't been, you know, really a lot of traction in that space. And that tr- probably comes back to, uh, you know, the business model of it. You know, who's investing in it and why, and and maybe uh, that piece and the science is slow. But the early signs of the science as to what we've seen um, from the research from a number of different trials is that it does work. Does it have commercial application at scale? Not yet. If it gets investment and we get the right people working on it, then it definitely has merit and it definitely is actually a very important piece of work that needs to be done because, as I said, the the Mississippi River, all of these waterways are being polluted and it's just having such an ongoing effect even to that glyphosate and other pesticides heading out to the the oceans as well. And so, um, yeah, it's… A very important area, and mushrooms, again, without sounding too biased, can play a key role in that um, that system because it can break it down and we know a lot of oil spills from old mining sites or from um, you know all in gas rigs off the coast um, that are having leakages even in marina bays, where we're getting a lot of you know, leakages from from boats and things um, you know, just that oil contamination that's rad so trippy because you think about how mushrooms
1: in nature in the like in the forest are such an integral part of the life and death cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So you have tree dies for whatever reason, mushrooms eat it, turn it back into soil. I mean, I'm like giving a very simplified version yeah, of yeah, this. Right. I'm sure much more complex, but that soil again gets germinated, becomes a tree again, and it just keeps going around and around. And without the mushroom as one of the inputs there, that stops. It's really the conduit of death and life. <laughs> It's trippy, right? <laughs> and thinking, yeah. just thinking about that. Okay, so if we know it has the ability to do that, how many ways in which that power can be harnessed for good? It's just super cool. It's so exciting.
0: Yeah, and it's just again a more uncharted territory. It's it's an entire kingdom that's been left alone for a long time, and it's a lifetime's worth of work plus four more. You know, there's so many mushrooms yeah. out there. There's so many varieties that we don't even know what they do yet,
1: and they're so mysterious too in 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 the wild because they they stay hidden. Mm. You know, they're just, they're like little aliens. Mushrooms are just trippy in the way that they don't show themselves, you know, and I think maybe that's why they've been largely ignored mm. until very recently by people.
0: The one thing that's funny that you get a lot of uh, conversations on is once you start to come into this world of mushrooms, you start to see them everywhere. I'm not sure if that's part of the alien effect or what, but it's, <laughs> right, right. but you just start to notice them because you notice where they put on rotting logs, um, you know, Nearby creeks where it's humid, where there's good, you know, I guess airflow and and rotting logs again in that humid environment. So I think going forward, you're going to see a lot more mushrooms in your own life just creeping in.
1: For the home cultivator, Mm. uh, I understand you guys probably by the time this will have come out are producing. Home cultivation kits where someone can actually grow their own?
0: We have a a USDA organic lion's mane grow kit um, that will be available and an oyster grow kit, oyster mushroom grow kit available in the US, which is exciting. And we do that also in Australia. Um, But again, the lion's mane making it easily accessible and and connecting people to nature as a part of biohacking, you know, rewilding, renaturing. And so, what does that mean if you're living in an apartment in a city? Well, Grow some food on your balcony. Grow some food on your benchtop. And one of those amazing things to grow is the mushrooms. And to see that life cycle of how they grow and how quickly they grow, again, is just that reconnection to, um, to something real and alive in a, in a, a world where it's, you know a lot of things are energetically quite low within cities. Um, how do we bring life to cities? And in a very, very simple way, these mushrooms that were grown off of coffee waste and a delicious to taste you can grow on your kitchen bench in 14 days. And it's a very fun experience.
1: Awesome, man. I love it. I'm going to give it a try. Maybe we'll I'll,
0: I'll fare better than my the uh, reishi
1: spore plugs that I tried a few years ago. If you ago. can't grow this lion's mane, then <laughs> put the shovel down.
0: There's no hope.
1: All right. Cool. I'll give that a shot. Um, in closing, who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your work and your life that our audience might be able to go learn from?
0: Mm. Um. I'm very big on mentors. It's very definitely de- on micro and macro levels, you know, mentors that you've never met that you've seen from afar and admired and micro as well. And from a micro level, I think, you know, very lucky with my parents just being very unconditionally loving and letting me be free to do whatever I wish to do, which has um, been amazing because I don't think necessarily people always have that support. Um, a chair, Our chairman at Lifecycle and at our mycelium, uh, biotechnology company william scott um he's been a, a businessman that also has a spiritual deep aspect side to him as well, so he can play in both fields because what you find i guess when you're going into the, this business realm it's all very black and white profit loss um capital markets et cetera which is all very necessary and interesting but if you can balance that with understanding the bigger picture of uh the life cycle of how things work of you know spirituality and and what that means. Um, then you blend those two together. He's been an amazing mentor. Um, but I guess from a beyond that from an everyday personal point of view, Marcus Aurelius and meditations is probably my what I would say is my Bible book um, in terms of stoicism and in terms of just giving you perspective on death and life, on impermanence and what matters. Um, that's been a, a, a good staple where you can just read a couple of pages every couple of days just to uh, reground. Uh, not get lost amongst the noise and the chaos, so that's probably my my go to is that is that book. Um, and beyond that, there's just been so many people from afar that you you see going through that their journey, going on their own mission and and achieving in whatever way that means, and that's been inspiring as well. And you can name a list of people from you know your Richard Branson's and your Elon Musk's and you know the guys at Brian Chesky at Airbnb and all of those guys have done in, very interesting and, and great work within their field and. You find that on an everyday level with people that you meet down the street who own a, a cafe store and they all have an amazing story and journey and there's so much motivation to get from all of them. But I think also, uh, yeah, it's just sort of learning from everyone. Awesome, dude. Well, I've learned tons from you today.
1: Thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's been real and also real funny in the last <laughs> few minutes because those listening, you won't know this because it would have been edited out. But cookie my co-host had a barking spell and so we shut it down and went and got the mail which is one of the things she was barking at in addition to the live spring water shout out delivery mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for but uh, I got some some of the blue canatine trophies, <laughs> and these are kind of like a just where a demo run you know and um so I gave one to our guest Julian and myself and uh, and I'm watching your whole mouth turn blue because <laughs> these ones dissolve. They're a little different than the real ones that are going, coming to market. These ones apparently dissolve much faster because within five minutes your whole mouth is blue. So it's going to be a funny thing for the people on video to watch <laughs> like, what, what, just, what just happened watch- to this guy? His <laughs> teeth are bright blue. So I've been sitting here trying not to crack up and I've had a really great time talking to you. Awesome. Even right? apart from that. So thanks so much for coming over today. Thank you for making a freaking amazing product just when I think I've discovered everything I discover something really cool and I love what you guys are doing and I'm so happy to support your mission and also not just like the supplemental end of it but the things that are to come I think you guys are coming at it from really innovative far reaching forward thinking point of view which is very cool awesome so thanks for love being an way. awesome
0: awesome entrepreneur dude that's doing things right thanks for giving us the, the biotech, biohacking knowledge that we need Absolutely. I'll see you soon. See you. Bye.
1: I don't know if this happens to you as the listener, but uh, as the host of these shows, every time we talk about a particular um, healing modality or product or practice, whether it be a meditation or a medicinal mushroom, I become obsessed after talking to someone like Julian, and I want to uh, try out their stuff. And I mentioned this in the intro, but just to give it to you again, if that's the case for you, and you're like, whoa, this sounds awesome, I want to scope it, uh, you can go to lifecycle.com, that's L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L, lifecycle.com, enter the code LUKESAVE20, and get 20% off. Uh, And um, of course, I definitely endorse these products, they're freaking amazing. So I want to make sure and mention that again. Then we've got a great show coming up this Friday. It's going to be another solo Q&A show. And this time I'm going to be covering a very frequent and highly popular request, which is biohacking, air travel, and jet lag, which I've been, (laughs) some of you know, I've been sitting on an online class covering all that for oh about a year and a half. And I don't know, man, there's just so many other things going on. I just never get around to it. Uh, someday I hope to do that. I know some of you are on the wait list. Um, it's embarrassing that I announced it and then didn't finish it, but it is what it is. It's an it's an exercise in um, accepting my imperfection and sometimes lack of follow-through when it comes to the technicality. So what I'm going to do instead is give you guys a free in-depth Biohack Your Travel session on this Friday's show. I'm also going to talk about how to safely harvest spring water. So both of these topics are something I humbly, you know, admit that uh, I know quite a bit about, and um, I'm really excited to share that information with you. Then on Tuesday, we've got a double episode. We've got two shows that day coming out with my friend Aaron Alexander, who's a fantastic guy and also one of the top movement experts in the world, meaning uh, fitness, but from the standpoint of. natural or ancestral or primal movement. And those episodes are called the philosophy of physicality, a conversation with movement master, Aaron Alexander. And then uh, that day we'll also be dropping the Aaron Alexander bonus show, which is a live audience Q and a that he and I recorded at an undisclosed location in Malibu, California. So we've got a show coming Friday tons of value for you. And again, on Tuesday, got a couple upcoming events, Paleo Effects, April 24th through 26th. Uh, and then Meet Delic, May 2nd and 3rd in Los Angeles. And you can find those at lukestory.com forward slash events. And again, for the newsletter, text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. To easily join the newsletter using a browser, go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. First off, I want to thank you for listening to this episode and every other episode. I want to thank our sponsors, without whom this episode and all of the others would be impossible because homie can't work for free after three and a half years of doing this show, and these guys pay the bills around here. So Beekeepers Naturals, you can go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off. I used their bee products, uh, I used some honey last night, and I put some honey in... uh, My friend's uh, matcha tea this morning, by the way, it was the Four Sigmatic matcha tea. I might as well just give them a little shout out there because they're also one of our sponsors. If you want to try Four Sigmatic products, I talk about them a lot. Uh, My very favorite product, I think, from Four Sigmatic is the coffee, as was mentioned in one of the plugs in this episode. The instant coffee with lion's mane is just freaking delicious. It's potent. It's mold free, it's organic, it's just absolutely incredible. And what I like about the Four Sigmatic coffee the best is that it's so portable. Uh, oftentimes, when I'm traveling, you know, I can't bring along a French press and a coffee grinder and do the whole thing with my Zen Bunny coffee or my Keon coffee, which are the two coffee bean uh, coffees that I drink typically. They're both amazing, by the way. You can find them and all the products at lukestory.com forward slash store. Uh, but anyway, Beekeepers Naturals is a great complimentary product to use with something like a Four Sigmatic coffee. So there you go. You can go to foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist and save 15% off there with the code the And last but certainly not least, to keep our gut thriving, we've got Just Thrive. They make a great probiotic product that's spore-based, meaning it survives the treachery of going down your throat and all of the... Uh, acids and havoc that your gut is going to wreak on regular, whack, useless probiotics. If you go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke, you can hook yourself up with some of their stuff. They also have a great prebiotic product and an immune support product that I just took an entire bottle of to get over the cold. It was freaking awesome. My cold was uh, pretty mild and short-lived. It might have something to do with the Thrive probiotic products. Uh, at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke, you can use the code Luke15 to save yourself 15% off. If all of those URLs were just too much for you to handle, you can find every product I personally use and uh, represent uh, or am an affiliate for or that sponsor the show, etc., over at lukestory.com forward slash store. And uh, by shopping over there, you support the show you support some great companies and also get yourself some exclusive discounts almost everything on my site has some kind of discount or hookup on it so i feel very pleased to be able to share that with you and i work really hard to curate the best of the best and put them all in the store in a neatly organized fashion so thank you for visiting luke forward slash store and doing your part to support us and uh If you don't want to do anything to support the show, guess what? You already are because you're hearing my voice right now. And that's the most important thing. Just keep listening and learning and growing and healing, which is the true mission of this podcast. Always has been, always will be. I'm Luke Story. Thanks for joining me.